Welcome to Rogue Bogues. This is episode 24 of the basketball series. Myself, Andrew Bogut, and Mike Procopio. Pro, how's it going? Oh, just another fucking day in the shit show, my friend. How are you doing, brother? <laughs> all good here. All good here. Just watching a lot of basketball. Um, NBL finals are on, NBA playoffs, obviously, to the second round. So at least with all this coronavirus bullshit going on and you're stuck at home, there's something to, something to watch. Yeah, I saw that Lawndale actually had a big time night. I had about nine people tweet at me in the last 24 hours about it. <laughs> he did. He played really well. He, was, he shot the shit out of the ball from three, too. So he was four for five. Um he had a he had a really a really good week. I think he was a little bit uh, pissed off about the MVP voting. I don't think he polled. You know, he was, he's not even spoken about in the top three or four. I think he's just a, a victim of being on a really good team with a lot of different weapons. So his numbers aren't as good as they'd be if he wasn't just on a mediocre team. But I think that pissed him off a little bit, and he came out with the right mindset in game one of their of their semifinals because that's all you can really control, right? I do want to apologize because, truth be told, I did vote him into my MVP last week. And that's is what happened. They automatically took him out of the MVP voting. <laughs> so again, my bad on that. And I just continue. The hits just keep on coming. That's what we do. We've got some right this week, though. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. We've got a few things right. Even a broke clock gets right twice a day, Bogues. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we fell on our feet a few times. So let's get rolling to the playoffs. Uh, the last game yesterday that I watched, Clippers versus Jazz. Currently, at time of recording, it is 2-0. For the Jazz, these have been two really good games, just fun to watch, a lot of back and forth. What have you seen? And I think some, you know, there's been some interesting things happen over the course of these games. For one was Rondo yesterday got a DMP. Um, I thought that was very interesting. I don't know if it was down to, to Reggie Jackson shooting the ball the way he did and being a bit more aggressive and being a bit more of a scoring threat. But um, how do you see that series going? Do you think the Clippers can go home and get, get two and even it up? Look, it, like last series, same thing. People were saying it's over, done. There's no chance. And then they did what they did. I think the difference here is you actually have a team with multiple weapons that are consistent scoring weapons with not only Mitchell, but you got Clarkson and you've got Ingles and you've got, you know, um, um, fuck, they, they, the foreign kid there. Of course, I'm, I'm really prepared tonight. But like I'm they've got go – yeah. Bogdanovich, yeah. And then you got Gorberry protecting the rim. They got a real rim protector. And they just have all these weapons. They move the ball. They, they, you can't really rock them. You can't really, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to really quit on you, especially when you make a run. And you saw that the other night when they missed 20 shots in a row or 20 plus shots in a row and they get back into the game. They, they they're tough. They just slow it down. They'll just they'll just relax. They've got veterans on the team, and they've just been taking it to them. I, game two, um, you know, Mitchell obviously killed them on game one, and their coverages kept changing on them. They weren't really getting, you know, they weren't making life difficult on them. They weren't contesting his shots. Zubac had a a bunch of pick and roll coverages where he didn't even put his hand up like. You got to try to make it a little bit difficult. Look, he was in the zone, so, you know, he was great, but you got to try to make it difficult. And then they were attacking the rim on Utah. It seems to be working, even with Garbier in there. And then they just go away from it. And when they just want to jack up shots, and they think shot making is going to get them into it. And then the whole Rondo man thing, not playing both those guys, both those guys were, were huge, huge factors in their own way in that first series being just tough and having the experience that Rondo's got and Ben just being tough 
and playing good defense and getting to the basket, making a couple of shots here and there, and they don't even play him. And they play Beverly, which I think Beverly just can't physically. He reminds me of like a Rodman or um, like Ron Artest when they were just sort of they could fuck with you mentally and they their experience and they know how to mind fuck you during a game. But physically, they just couldn't help you at the end. Like with, you know, Rodman when he was on the Lakers in Dallas, like he could still do some antics, but he couldn't really physically do it. And then our test, same thing. He could be physical with you, cheap shots you, be tough. But like physically, he wasn't like he was in like 2010 and, and before. And Beverly just, I don't think physically can guard guys like that. And he's not a weapon offensively. Rondo had his problems offensively you know, in the first series, like inconsistency, but he could still, he needs to take those two guys off the ball, Leonard and and George, and put them in spots at times to just put them in the best possible position to win. And and they don't have a point guard on their roster that can do that except him. And I, it was weird to me that he just didn't play. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, um, the Jazz – I mean, one concern I had for them was that they that one-on-one breakdown ISO bucket getter would be Mitchell, who's, who was somewhat inconsistent in that role throughout his career. I mean, he's very aggressive and improved a lot, but that was my concern was like, do they have enough of that compared to, you know, Brooklyn with KD and, and James and even, even the Clippers? They've got two guys, Kawhi and Paul, that you can throw it to and they can get you a bucket. But Mitchell's exceeded my expectations in this series so far. I mean, he has... That game two start that he had, walking into step back threes and sidestep threes and just was aggressive and knocking stuff down. If he's playing at that capacity with the balance that they have around him, he stays healthy, they stay healthy. I mean, I think they've got every chance to get to the NBA finals. Uh, I'd love to see it, but I think the I think the Clips can get one at home. I don't know if they can get both. I hope they get two just to make it a series, but I think the Jazz are just... You know, they've got guys that understand their roles. They've got guys that aren't going to pad if they don't get minutes. They've got, you know, guys that like Jordan Clarkson come off the bench and know his role to just get him up. And I think they've got a really good balance now with Mitchell. When Mitchell was out of that lineup, whole different story because, you know, you're losing a a really aggressive one-on-one scorer. But when you have him in that lineup now, Ingles naturally slides to his natural position of that second, third ball handler. Bogdanovich is getting feet set wide open threes. Gobert's getting open dunks. Like their their balance is just, it's it's an amazing, very well coached, balanced team. And they're not going to beat themselves. So I think for the Clips to win, they need, a night where they shoot 40 from three and Kawhi and Paul, um, you know, play really good defensively and offensively, both ends of the ball for them to have any chance. But I, I think this, you know, it's got the potential to go seven, but I just don't think that the Jazz are going to have too many um, games where they where they play themselves out of a game. I agree with you. And I think that, like, if you just uh, knock on wood, just stay healthy, if nothing catastrophic happens there, I can't see them faltering like that i think like you said they'll probably get one in la i, I can't see the series going past six in my opinion i think that, that they're going to probably lose this four two in my opinion uh i just like i said they don't you can't you can't fuck them up you can't rock them you know even if you score and they're struggling they're going to continue to move the ball around continue to get shots like i mean hey hats off to the clippers they came back roaring back you know, from down, what was it, like 20 points or so, and they, they tied it, took a lead, and they turned the ball. They they shit-fucked away about four out of six, you know, possessions in the fourth quarter where, like, 
you know, Reggie Jackson threw a rim run to Durant that went out of bounds. Um, there was just a bunch of just a couple of bad shots, some turnovers, and then there was some defensive mishaps where like Paul George left O'Neal in the corner to help on Ingles, even though that Leonard was right there at the rim, gave up a three. Like there were just sort of a lot of just sort of mishaps in the middle of that fourth that really so you know sealed the deal. Hey, look, you get home, you get two in a row at home. You, anything can happen. You saw that last series, but they got to get their act together, man. This has been all fucking year with this team not playing like five games in a row where they dominate and they're like, look. We got two great players. We've got good role players. We've got experience. We got people locked in. It's it's one thing to talk about having this championship mentality and all that. And there's another one that there's another, you know, the other side of it is actually doing it without having to say it. And, you know, they just got to show it and step up and, hey, look, series ain't over, but I think it's going to be tough. Yeah. And, and I noticed that defensively, you know, in, in that game, game two at least, a few times, even early on, they're going under, under, Ingles on a few ball screens, and I'm just thinking, like, are they are they locked into their scouting report? Are they locked into what they need to do defensively? Like you said, championship championship or bust mentality. Joe's a I don't care if he's zero for ten or ten for ten. He's a he's a never go under guy, right? And then later on in that in that game, like you said, he's dribbled up the wing. No one's picked him up and just walked into a a wide open three, which kind of killed any momentum or chance for the, that Clippers comeback because that was kind of the I think it pushed it out to eleven. Or eight or eleven, I can't remember exactly, but that was a backbreaking three, and you're just like, are you guys really that locked in? You know, like I mean, it's one thing leaving him open, but you know, I just don't think they're locked in defensively. And by the way, again, the the assistants that are making two point four billion total more than we spell on de- uh, you know spend on defense in the United States, uh, Ingles is a lefty, just so they know. So when they can, can continue to let him go left and slice and dice him up for either the shot, the three, or that hook pass to the fucking corner. I, you know, I'm not that fucking bright. Graduated with a 2.01 from Suffolk University. Thank you very much. But, f- like, he's a lefty, and they continue to let him go left. It's unbelievable. Hey, kudos to that fucking guy. Let him continue to slice him up. But, like, again, like, game plan. Don't go under on the fucking guy. Last time I checked, he can make a three. And... The guy's a lefty and just keep on letting him go left and just destroy you because he's a hell of a passer. You know, he might be a better passer than he is a shooter and he's a fucking hell of a shooter. And yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. I think that one will be, I think it's a fun series, but yeah, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not bored. You know, I don't, I don't even think some of it is this isn't coaches pro. I, I just think that I guarantee you they've said when Ingles is a no under guy, this whole series and you still got guys in that in that team that are like, oh, you know, I'm switching with Kawhi, he's got length, he'll get over it, whatever, whatever it is, right? And it's just like lazy, just lazy defensively. I just think they 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 lock in for some possessions and then, like you said, a game or five possessions in a row, you're like, what the hell are they doing out there? And we saw that, you know, in the Dallas series, which almost bit him in the ass and they got, you know, they, they were very lucky getting out of that series alive with Luca, where they made no real adjustments. I think they ended up winning that series, in my opinion, on talent of having – Kawhi go crazy in that in that series, which we'll talk a bit more about later with his with some of the numbers that he put up. But um, yeah, I just I just think if they continue to just try to rely on talent, I think they're they're not going to get very far. But we'll uh, that's been the story for them for the last two years that we've been harping on. So we'll see how that goes. The next series was Brooklyn and the Milwaukee Bucks. So it was a I don't know if you saw Game Three, but it was an ugly game. It was <laughs> it was in the eighties nineties. It was it was a grinded out old school East Coast type 
basketball game. Credit to, to, to Milwaukee. They pulled it out at the end. They didn't look like they wanted to at times. They made a lot of silly errors towards the end, a lot of bad shots in that fourth quarter. But they grinded out a win. Um, now the question is, you know, can they get can they get game four at home and make it a series? Yeah, the scary thing, Bogues, with this, when you watch play enough play of basketball, like I don't think that anything that Milwaukee was doing was great. I think obviously the miscommunication at the end for Brooklyn would probably seal the game for Milwaukee rather than Milwaukee just flat out beating them. And I, I don't want to take anything away from Milwaukee, even though I am like, but I just think that I, I think it's going to be very difficult for Milwaukee to win this series, which means they're going to win the series, but <laughs> I'm going to just contend on that. I don't think they're going to win. I don't think there's really much they can do. I think Giannis is again, showing with the offensive st- struggles sometimes at times that, you know, they know how to play him. They've got firepower even without Harden in Brooklyn. And, and I just think it's, it's going to be too difficult in my opinion. But where, where do you see it you know, as a player, folks? Like, do you see it maybe a shift in momentum a little bit? Can you, you know, give you some insight on what you think on it, on, you know, from, from the whole, just or the whole you know, of the series? Uh, not really. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it was like a punch in the face to Brooklyn by any means. I think it was a close grinded out game on the road that Milwaukee stole towards the end. Credit to them. But I don't think Brooklyn will be panicking by that by any means. You know, even if they get game four, I think Brooklyn is still, you know, they're very tough to beat. Um, Kevin Durant is just an amazing basketball player. Um, I think one of the best, if not the best, one-on-one get-me-a-bucket guys we've ever seen in the game. You know, just his his length – his height, his athleticism, his touch. He just, you know, he has so many options with that frame of his automatically that he's just very hard to stop and he he hit some big shots late in that game for him. I think everyone's talking about the Bruce Brown not not finding KD, not finding Kyrie. And, you know, you want your role players to be aggressive, um, but you also want to find superstars at the end of a game. So it's, it's, it's a tough argument in my opinion. I think he saw a lane, but going into his weak hand, for those that don't know, he had, a I think, tw- you know, 20-odd seconds left to tie the game, put him up one, and he went in and shot a floating left-hand layup over a seven-footer that, that had no chance of going in. So he's copped a lot of flack for that. But I don't think Brooklyn are panicking. I think they'll be okay. Um, this was a, an ugly, uglier game for them offensively. And I think they'll know, you know, they just tweak a little a little bit going into game four. And they probably know, hey, like we, we want to get some rest. If we can get some rest, it helps James Harden come back sooner, hopefully, and get gets him a bit, a bit more fresh. I'm not traveling with the team on two or three extra flights. So the more rest they can get, the better. Obviously, KD's had an injury history. Kyrie has as well. Few guys banged up, Jeff Green. So um, I, I would, you know, anticipate them coming out game four, punching Milwaukee straight away. But um, yeah, I mean, the Giannis thing that, that you mentioned has has reared its ugly head again. You know, the shooting has really, really hurt um, Milwaukee. You know, they're shrinking the floor. I mean, we we texted back and forth. I, I mean, late in that game, one thing I found interesting was that the, the Brooklyn was switching one through five with Lopez, right? For those who don't remember, I, I played against Lopez when he was a, a post only player, and he was an he was a problem on the block. He had that rip through move before it became fashionable, so he'd get to the free throw line if you had your arm out. He was a guy that you'd push off the block, make him go to his weak hands, make him shoot a fading away hook. Did everything right defensively, and his his ball just went in. He's one of those post guys that just had amazing, still does have amazing touch around the basket. With that modern game, he he doesn't even touch the block anymore. But they had stretches where Kevin Durant was guarding him. They had stretches where Joe Harris was guarding him possessions, and I'm like, in a grinded out 70, 80 point game, the analytics for me go out the window. You can't score. 
So while, you know, I know post types are frowned upon, but I was like, you throw it down a brook with Joe Harris on him, I'll, I'll guarantee you he's going to get you a score 60, 60 or 70% of the time. And it's just gone so far away from post-ups of the devil that in a game like that, I think, you know, where Giannis wasn't wasn't rolling, he couldn't really get a bucket, they were shrinking the floor. Just go to something that's so random that it, it would be confusing if you ran a post-up late in a game because it's so frowned upon. But um, just an interesting observation I had at the end of that game. No, it's two years, it's two years ago all over again. I mean, when they were playing in Toronto, you know, you get that look. I get the whole analytics thing with post-ups, and I understand it to a certain degree. But first of all, there should be a couple of things involved. A, if he's one of the top five post players in the league, which on the block, in my opinion, Brooke Lopez is one of the top five low post scorers in the game. So A, you get that. B, if it's a 1-5 switch or a 2-5 switch, like, you got to go to them. Even if it's 3-5, I mean, anything that's not like position you switch, you got to throw it down to them because he's going to get you to the free throw line. Look, the number that you want in your, you know, your points per possession, somewhere over 1, 1-1, one, 1-2, one, one, that's what you want. So, you're either going to get a free th- two free throws or... You know, or, you know, you get closer to get to the bonus and to get to the free throw line, or you're going to get a score or a very good shot where you might be able to get an offensive rebound. I'd take that all day. And when you continue, because you can't really score again, until Giannis could do it in a series, a whole series, he might have some games where he goes seven for nine from the line. I don't really see it, but, you know, he might or, or make a couple of threes blindfolded, but like, you got to go to other things besides that. And when they switch that and you have that matchup, why not go to it? But they're, you know, just like most teams, they're, they're, you know, they're fucking analytically based. And that's where, that's where analytics fucks you. In the playoffs, sometimes you got to go away from that, especially when you got some momentum doing something else. You know, you just got to go with your gut at times. I see the whole season, you want to play a certain way, you know, limit some types of shots that were used to be good, that now you see more threes, layups and all that. But like, I yeah, I'm with you. I don't know why they didn't go to that matchup either. And like I said, it's the if it was a game in the 120s, different story where you've got the, you know, yeah. you're up and you're shooting three ball well and it's a high scoring game. But the game was such a grind out game. It just would have been... I rolled the dice that I would have, you know, I would have went to as a head coach, um, you know, and and even you say one th- one five switch pick and roll where they put a a small on Brook Lopez. I'd argue Kevin Durant guarding him. I'm still posting him up. You know, Kevin Durant's a great yeah. defender. He's long, but he's not he's not very heavy, and he's he's carrying such a load offensively. I'm going to throw him down in the block and let Brook Lopez, you know, hit him a few times and, and try to put him under the under the hoop. I don't think KD wants wants any of that right now. You know, um. It's 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 not something that he's used to doing. It's you know it's gone away from from post ups and uh, the game has. So I I just think it would have been just something to have in your back pocket. But it's it's just gone so far away from it. It just it just kind of amazes me that analytics has pushed us that far. But I think you look at look at the other thing in these playoffs that we're noticing again is you know the the long two pull up two is has become a weapon again because when you have time to prepare for a great three point shooting team even utah to an extent they still they still hoist up a fair few threes but that's because they you know they've got so many weapons to break the paint two feet in the paint but they do a good job of, of, of trying not to shoot those long twos but i'm i'm watching these other games atlanta and philly and a lot of these teams and that that 10 foot shot is still 
at times throughout a game is becoming an important shot that we've you know we've spoken about at length before. Bogues, I mean, look at it last series too. What with you know backs against the wall. What is you know what is Kawhi Leonard did against Dallas time and time again? Mid post jab jump shot, um, pick and roll, snake it, or just get to that two dribble pull up elbow. Mid range shot. It's funny, like, again, you want to talk numbers, you want to talk all this stuff, that's great. You know, everybody wants to talk about it, you know, how bad post-ups and mid-range shots are. But when these superstars, LeBron, Steph, Harden, Durant, Kawhi, you know, all those guys, even guys like Paul George, like, you know, like all, all these players that are really good players, they and when they need a basket... They're going to go to a mid-range shot. Not all the time, but of course, they'll shoot the three, especially when they need it. But that's a, like, that's a big-time shot And when you need a basket. Kobe talked about it in length. When I need a basket, Mike, and I know he played in a different era for the most part, but he goes, when I need a basket, I'm going to three places. I'm going to drive it to the elbow. I'm going to drive it to the short corner and pull up, elbow pull up, or I'm going to go to the post. Those are my three spots. But if I'm if I have the ball on the perimeter and I can't see the clock or whatever, like you know, guys all over me, I'm gonna, my mind always tells tells me get to the elbow, get to the short corner on a pull up, and I know where I'm gonna go. Jordan, I mean, you know, but even in today's game with the three and the layup, no contested two, no post up, those guys continue to go to that mid range shot when they need a basket late in the game. Yep, yeah, uh, it totally makes sense because you know the game. For those listening in the game, it dries up in a seven-game series. You guys, you know, teams scout each other to the to the smallest iota. We know every play for quick hit of threes. We know every play to get this guy going, that guy going. So then the shots that at times become vital are the ones that most teams are willing to give up. And, you know, teams are going to make a an overemphasize running a Joe Ingles off the three, like run him off at all costs, make him break the three-point line. That's what we'd be saying with Golden State, like run this guy off the three. Like even if you fly by him and put yourself in horrible position to recover, run him off the three. So... You know, like you said, a Kawhi, even Luka Doncic, you know, for the uh, oh Luka, I'm yeah, sorry, yes, yes, portions of that series, he, he, you know, he that it was that break the three. They won't let me get to the step back. They won't let me get into my stuff to get a three. So he'd get into the paint. He'd get close to the dots. He'd give him a little a little forearm shiver, spin and shoot a you know just below the free throw line pull up jumper and that was a shot he was comfortable taking because they were giving up and you have to kind of take that a couple of times as well if you're being giving, given that on a platter otherwise teams are just going to keep corralling you to take that shot until you take it and then hey maybe you knock down two or three of those then all of a sudden my close out on a Joe Ingles or a Luka Doncic even though our team principal says keep running him off players have pride might be like you know what he's burnt me the last three times I might ease up on this close out bang you know contested three goes in so there's a game within the game and I mean, I know analytics guys that are all in analytics just strictly look at the numbers like, no, it'll it'll work itself out. The snake will it'll curve towards us in a graph. Keep doing it, keep doing it. But, you know, we've lost games doing that before. And a prime example was, you know, Kawhi Leonard for us in that in that final series. Yeah, I want to know the fucking analytics guy in the next 25 years who's going to get Luka Doncic not to take a fucking contested two if he feels as though he needs to take a, t- a contested two. Unless Russell Crowe from fucking Gladiator is your fucking analytics guy, he's going to take whatever shot he feels as though he needs to shoot in a crunch time situation and, and any superstar. And I think that's where it is. Like, you got to go by feel and when you're a basketball player. In the, in the, in the, I think in the 
sort of the first three and a half quarters, whatever, like, yeah, you, you try in the flow of the game, you try to get as many threes, layups and, you know, like, you know, and stay away from those types of shots in the flow. But I think when you need baskets and your back is against a wall, you got to go total fail. You got to throw all that bullshit out the window. I agree. And I think you need a good balance these days and mainly playoffs, finals, it, it, it completely changes. But um, the next one we'll go to Phoenix versus Denver. Uh, you had Denver. I took the the, the opposite <laughs> just to be different. And I actually think Phoenix have a chance. Um, they're 2-0 right now. So I'm in a good spot. But going back to Denver. I mean, the one thing I've, I've I've enjoyed with Phoenix is we mentioned it last week that they they just have an East Coast '90s era toughness about them in the West. They got a lot of tough guys with chips on their shoulders, guys that are willing to wrestle if they have to, guys that are happy to play roles, a good mix of scorers, playmakers. It seems like they don't have enough every series they get to, um, but they continue to surprise. And I've enjoyed watching their toughness. And I just feel like Denver, these first two games, I'm not sure what it is, whether it's a Jokic MVP, uh, whether it's now finally catching up to them that, you know, their star point guard in Murray's out. But they look like they've blown their load, bro. Denver just look cooked. I mean, they are going back to arguably one of the toughest places to play on the road with the altitude and a pretty good fan base there in Denver um, to try and salvage his series. But I know Malone's press conference after the first two games was skating of his team saying we were soft and weren't tough and I totally agree with that but it you know unless something drastic happens they just look like they've um looks like they're cooked to be quite honest with you bro oh yeah I mean the, the one thing about uh Michael Malone is you know he doesn't bullshit like like he's not gonna be like oh we're just gonna you know we'll be all right you know we're just gonna make shots next game no, like when they fucking play soft, he tells these, these fucking guys played soft. You know, he doesn't do it every game. He knows that you can't do that, you know, to, to keep your locker room in check. But he calls it the way he sees it. And they were passive. They were passive. And again, I, I keep saying it. When guys want to complain about their roles not being respected during the year, they're really a superstar. They're really an all-star. Well, when you're in a series where you have to step up because you're missing a couple of guys, you really see what kind of player you are. Like Aaron Gordon has been screaming it. Disrespected. I'm an all-star. I'm this, I'm that. And he goes three for seven, you know, like he scores six, one rebound. One of the most athletic guys in the whole league, strong kid, long-armed, big, gets one rebound. You know, Michael Porter Jr., now I know his back, I think his back was a little fucked up, but like three for 13, two for nine. Look, people are going to have bad games. Unfortunately, though, when you're at this stage, going to, you know, to get to the Western Conference Finals, you have to dig deeper. Jokic just can't do it every fucking night for you and just carry it. It's not good enough. You know, you know, Compazzo, Rivers, Barton played okay, but like they need more. And it, I just, you know, I think like obviously Porter has a different type of game. Gordon gives you a little bit. And then, you know, it, it might, could have been a little bit different. But you got to step up. This is important shit in the playoffs. And you figure out what type of player you are really quick when you have to, you know, without Murray, you, you got to step up. And those other players, the last game just didn't do it. Now, there's still plenty of series left. I, I don't know what they're going to do. You know, Phoenix is playing fucking great. You know, they they just got confidence. Jay Crowder, you know, I worked with Jay a little bit in Dallas and just knowing him, he's just the ultimate chip on the shoulder guy. 
like just like he's got a ch- he wakes up with a chip on his shoulder and thinks he's disrespected and goes hard as hell and you know make shots fucking salsa dancing i don't know what i mean fucking guys you know he he's one of those guys you love to have on your team man he's a tough prick you know bridges and paul and you know Aiton and all those guys man they're playing great you know monty williams you know getting those guys playing so i think it's going to be really tough for denver to get some firepower but everybody's got to step up and you hey look you got to look your fucking self in the mirror you want to complain about not being a fucking all-star you know, this is the time to shine. And if you can't, you just are who you are, who you are this week. Yeah, uh, I think Aiden, we spoke about, made those comments before the series, um, stating that, you know, Jokic is the guy that's giving you the most problems. And I think arguably Aiden's done a relatively good job on um, on Jokic, as good as you can do against the MVP. He's just made him try to work for everything and, you know, been, been pretty physical with him. And I think that's, that's worked well. But, um, yeah, I'm looking at Denver's roster and I'm just like, What's what's the adjustment? Do you change your lineup? What do you do? Um, another guy, great story. Tory Craig was with Denver and ended up being traded and moved around and ended up in Phoenix. And he's had a, a pretty good um, handprint on this series as well, considering that that he got he got moved on from Denver. So for all the kids out there, you know things that sometimes go through tough times. People get traded. You get cut from a team, and he's made the most of his experience moving on from um, from Denver to Phoenix, and now might might beat the very team that traded him. So that's been fun to watch as well. But I just I just don't see what the adjustment is that Denver can can make, other than Malone preaching toughness and physicality. That's an obvious one, but there's something not right with that lineup. It's just not working, and not and it's just not. It's not crossing over to match up well with Phoenix. I don't know if they go smaller. Maybe they go bigger. Maybe you start Javel at the five, put Jokic at the four, try to create some cross matches there. I don't know. I'm spitballing, but I think, you know, I wonder if Malone rolls a dice on a lineup change in game three at home, or does he think, hey, let's, um, you know, we're at home, we're the favorites at home, we should be okay. I agree. I don't see, I mean, again, he's, he didn't, he doesn't strike me as somebody who just goes drastic and, and like, just goes, all right, I'm just going to completely change what we're doing. You know, maybe make some ch- changes, you know, started in the games a little bit throughout, but I'm not sure, man. I mean, they got to, you know, it's not crunching time. You know, it's time to step up at home. Now, they're they're a good team at home, um, you know, but Jokic just can't do it alone. You got to grind this thing out. You got to make shots. You got to create opportunities. You know, you got to make multiple efforts defensively, rebound, get some stops. They got enough, even though without Murray, they've got enough, but they got to step up. These are, you know, this isn't, this isn't January, February, March anymore, like where you could afford to have a bad night. This is the playoffs. You're playing a very good team that has all the confidence in the world and be, you know, talent and confidence to me is more important than talent sometimes. If you have this confidence and I'll tell you what, I don't think there's a more fucking, Maybe besides Utah, they may not be another more confident team in the league right now. Not just the West, and they're playing on all you know all cylinders, and they're fucking going. I think that Denver could still get into the series a little bit. Sorry, Denver, this means you have no chance to be getting in the series if I'm telling you you do. But I, I still say they can. But they got to play the right way. They got to make their shots. They got to you know put their head down, and get to the basket. You know, they um, Phoenix doesn't have great shot blocking, so you could still get to the rim if you can. You know, take the best shots you can. You know, just don't rely on Jokic to score 500 points. It's just, this ain't a fucking video game. You gotta, you know, you guys gotta step up. This is, this is what, this is why you get paid the money that you do. 
Yeah, it'll be a good one. I, I hope they I hope they even it up. I think Denver deserves to be back into into a series the way that with the year that they've had and Jokic's year, but I just yeah, I think I think Phoenix will steal one either game three or game four and wrap the series up. Um, in five or six max, um, in my opinion. So we'll see how that goes. Game going on right now as we record. Philly Atlanta is at one one. We're in the fourth quarter. Philly leading ninety five to seventy five. So look, it looks like unless something drastic happens and some NBA history is made, it looks like Philly should get this done. Atlanta just looked real flat after halftime in this game. They, um, I think, just the size and length of Philly starting to catch up with Atlanta. Um, there have been a few injuries, obviously. That have you know changed the the course of the series. The Embiid one early on, um, but he seems to be moving around fine now. I think is it is it DeAndre was it DeAndre Hunter? Is it did he get hurt? Yeah, knee. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 A, a, a vital piece for them, but yeah, they just look real, real kind of flat. They're working really hard for everything, and 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 it's Philly. Philly uh, are a defensive monster, and if they can play. You know, in in games where they're holding teams the way they are, Atlanta they have a real chance to to, to progress um, even further than this series, just because it doesn't put as much pressure on their offense. And when they're when they're in games where there's pressure put on their offense, I think they can falter a little bit because Embiid to me is they're they're really their only elite level scorer on that team. Um, they can get you a bucket in in a variety of different ways. Um, ben Simmons athletic, Tobias Harris is solid, but. I think as far as elite goes, you'd agree that Joel's the only elite scorer on that team. So when they're when they're really pushed to be really good offensively, they can struggle. But when they when their defense can keep a team like Atlanta starting the fourth quarter under eighty points, um, not many teams are going to beat Philly. But um, looks like it's going to be two two and one going to Game Four in Atlanta. Can Atlanta even the game, even the series in Game Four? But Jesus Christ, I mean, you know what is fucking Embiid's meniscus made of titanium? I mean, like when they started saying he had a torn meniscus or a torn cartilage or whatever it was, and like, where's it? You and I are thinking the guy can barely, won't be able to barely walk. I've never seen a guy tear his knee up and actually outperform his regular season. Yeah. I mean, the guy is having a phenomenal fucking series. Phenomenal. And this guy, look, you know, he might not have been in the greatest of shape in the past years in the playoffs and they come playoff time. But this fucking guy is killing it right now. Killing it. And, you know, he's an entertaining fuck. I'll tell you what. He, he, he could do, he can do so much offensively. It's, it, it's ridiculous. And even defensively, he's very smart and he sort of knows places to go. He doesn't, doesn't always like, give you that great effort defensively. But, um, I mean, he, he's, he's had such a hell of a series. As far as Atlanta tying it up. Yeah. I mean, for sure. They're at home. You know, Trey Young is, you know, really put, you know, putting into overdrive as far as his, his effort and, you know, just the points and things that he's doing on pick and rolls and getting into the paint and making plays. Uh, they have ultimate confidence. It'll be tough. I think they can do it if they, you know, they could definitely have a game. I don't think with Embiid, with the knee being much better than I, anyone ever, oh, you and I expected last week. I think I, I, I don't, I don't expect this game, this series to go past six. I think it'll be four one or four two, but um, being in Atlanta, they they still have a chance. I'll tell you what, Trey Young's. This is great development for him. This is a great experience to be in something like this, carry his team, and just sort of run his team. You know, be you know, d- did what he did last series. Coming in this series, you know, he'll learn more. He'll he'll be a better player coming out of the series, regardless win loss. But uh, I don't think they're gonna win. I don't think they'll win the series. Possibility of tying this thing up. But I don't see this going past six. 
Yeah, I'd agree. I've, look, I, I really equate, I see some similarities in Atlanta to where the Golden State Warriors were the year that we beat Denver in the first round and then lost the Spurs in six in the second round. I see some similarities between the two teams. Just just a young, balanced roster. You know, Capella, good defensive big. They've got a good mix of youth, good veterans, Louis Williams, um, and a Trey Young, most comparable young superstar to Steph Curry you probably have right now. Not not there yet, not saying he's Steph Curry, but most comparable young guy to maybe fill Steph's shoes one day. I see some similarities. So like you said, I think this is a huge learning experience. And, you know, we use that learning experience to then go to the playoffs the next season, lose to the Clippers in seven, and then the following year won a championship. So you have to go through those lumps. And I see a little bit of um, similarities there. So it'll be interesting to continue to watch. But one thing, <laughs> one thing I noticed as I was watching this game in the background as we're doing this podcast is I just saw a pet peeve of mine, Pro, that I had to mention. So Go ahead. Please do. One of them is these these guys that just won't shoot the half-court shot or the three-quarter court shot on the, <laughs> on, on, on the buzzer. So yeah. for fans out there, what, what what I mean by this is I played with a guy that was notorious for it, Michael Red with the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. Was, he was notorious for this. So you'd have the ball with two seconds left, you're in the backcourt, and you can hoist up a three a three point you know, heave, and they'll, they'll take that extra dribble as they hear the buzzer and then – Oh shit! I got to shoot it. The buzzer's already gone, right? So it looks good in real time for the crowd. Oh, he, he tried to shoot it. He just didn't realize the buzzer's going off. But when you play with a guy that does that every other game, you start to realize it's not an accident. The reason for it is it's protecting their stats. So if you shoot it after the buzzer, the shot attempt doesn't count. What they're doing is protecting their three point percentage because you know you may be making zero out of twenty, um, one out of twenty, one out of thirty, one out of forty of those, um, if that, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I just saw it happen in the Atlanta game. And in a playoff game, you got to take that. You, you, um, look, regular season, I'm against it completely. If I was head coach, I would, I would basically say, hey, if you guys have a chance to shoot a full court shot, a half court shot, we're getting it up. I don't want you protecting your stats. If you don't do it, we're going to have a discussion about it because those 1% chances can win you a game. It can win you one game out of 82. It could win you whatever it is. In a playoff series, you got to hoist it up. But I, I don't know how you feel about it, Pro, but I, I just hate seeing guys just protect their stats so much that and, – and that's why I love Steph Curry because he'll hoist, he'll hoist that shit up from anywhere, man. Like, he's got the ball in his hands three-quarter court. He'll shoot a hook shot falling out of bounds before the buzz goes because he, he thinks he's got a chance to go in. And he makes more than, than most guys with those long-distance shots. But I just I just scratch my head. If I was a coach, I'd be like, you know, you, you're, you're leaving something out that you could you could be giving us. It could go in one out of 50 times, but that, that extra one win could be a three-seed instead of a four seed, you know? So, I don't know how you feel about it, Pro, but just something I had to get, I had to get off my chest and rant about. You know, it's funny um, that you say that. My uh, a story, and again, I don't know if 100% true or not, but I did hear this. When Daryl Morey took, uh, took the job in Houston, and again, this may not be true, but I, this is what I've heard. He had his first meeting with Jeff Van Gundy, and Van Gundy wasn't a big analytics guy or whatever, and he comes in, you know, he's, you know, he comes in and was like, he said, all right, I, I, you got a few minutes. What, what do you got to tell me? Like, give me something that I can use. And I, I heard this that the first thing that Daryl Morey said is, uh, players don't take enough half and quarter half, um, like, you know, ha- uh, last second heaves, and they should take more of those. And I guess he just sort of like blew them off or like, this is all you got to tell me. Which is interesting because you're, you're saying that now. I totally agree. I do predict in the next five years, Adam Silver or the league will change the rule where if you make it, it counts on your stats uh, shooting-wise. And if you miss it, it doesn't count. Oh, wow. I guarantee I, – I, that, that's a prediction I'm going to make in the next five years. Well, be- I don't think we're close court. yet. Yes. Behind half court, 
if you take a heave, that it's going to be not counted percentage-wise to entice guys to take more of them. Hmm, I predict in the next five years. Yeah, who the fuck knows? Look, I, you know, we see I fucking guys, I throw <laughs> these things out of my ass. Some guy goes ultra aggressive to start shooting three quarter court shots. Hey, I'm still, I'm yeah. still zero for zero. <laughs> what if, well, hey, what if some jerk off who doesn't want to be with this team just to force a fucking trade just takes like eight of those in a quarter until they sub them out? The Andrew Bynum. Yeah, Bynum, the, the Bynum rule. <laughs> That's interesting. I will, I will, that will be interesting to see what they do because I, I think it's just every time I see it, I just think selfish, 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 selfish. Like the the worst guy is number two. The worst guy is a guy who like shoots it after the buzzer oh, man. to give you the yeah to get to give that you know what I'm saying it's the it's like the worst bit of Ho- it's like a Hollywood E grade movie like and it's like yeah you might fool the new fan or like but it's just like man just hoist it up you know most, I, I'd hoist my, my three point percentage wasn't great you know I only made three or four in my career but if I had a chance to shoot one that was a great excuse to <laughs> and the only guys everybody else besides maybe Reggie Miller. Greg Anthony and Van Gundy, everyone else is like, oh, do you see how unselfish that guy is you know, for player X, player Y that t- tried taking the shot, but he couldn't get it off? Van Gundy calls it out. Like, you know, Mark Jackson even like, come on, the guy's full of shit. You know, he, he knew what he was doing. He did it on purpose to make it look like he did it. But everybody else is like fawning over these fucking players. <laughs> like, oh, he tried. He gave it his old college try. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, man, I can't, I can't stand. Every time I see it, it's like yeah, a, it's, it's it like a, a little reindeer's diet or something like that. That's how I feel. But um, <laughs> a few things we got right, pro. This will be a short segment. Um, but ha. MVP Jokic, we've got that one right. So pat on our backs. It, look, it wasn't wasn't too hard to pick. I thought I thought he had a fantastic year. We we both did. And I can't reach my back. There's too much back fat. But uh, I'll 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 rub it against the wall if you want. <laughs> Yeah, get one of those uh, Homer Simpson spoons or whatever he back scratches. Yeah, but he had, he had a great year. I, I think, um, you know, much deserved. I, I don't think many people disagree with with that pick. One one thing with the MVP voting, we talk about voting all the time, is just the amount of assholes they have voting for MVP that just do some random shit. I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I know and what you're, you're going to say. Like, Go ahead. Yeah, D Rose. I mean, I love D Rose. Yeah. I love D Rose. I think he's had a great effect on on New York's success this past season and He's had his MVP. Someone gave him an MVP vote. Like, what are you doing? Like, there needs to be some sort of protocol to number one, name and shame these idiots that did it. And then that's it. You're done. You're not getting a vote again. (laughs) That fucking voter, that fucking voter, they need to reenact the Shawshank Redemption scene where that guy had a uh, fucking crawl through that pipe of shit, that two fucking mile pipe of shit to get out of the jail. I would make that fucking voter do that fucking go through that fucking scene for voting. No offense to D-Rose, but come on. Like, like, there's real money on the line for some of these guys because of all these bonuses and things like that, and you're going to give a vote to him on that? I mean, come on, dude. No, seriously. Take your fucking... Like, I don't take my job serious, obviously. Look at me. But that fucking guy or girl, whoever did it, needs to fucking take their job serious, man. Come on. Oh, no doubt. Give me a fucking no break. And then... Yeah. Um- they say it's a unanimous fan vote or something. Well, if, if that's the case, get rid of that unanimous fan vote. But a full breakdown of everyone that polled his first place votes. So Derek Rose had one. Chris Paul had two. Uh, Giannis had one. Steph Curry had five. Joel Embiid only had one, which was surprising to me. And 91 went to Jokic. And everyone who polled a vote 
So all these guys polled at least one vote. Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, James Harden. Ben Simmons was an interesting one. He got, you know, I don't, I don't think he's an MVP candidate. I think Defensive Player of the Year candidate, sure, but not MVP. Rudy Gobert, same thing. I don't think he's an MVP candidate. I think, you know, Defensive Player of the Year, totally get it. Julius Randle, Dame Lillard, Luka Doncic, Chris Paul, and the other names we just mentioned. So there's always one or two um, guys. LeBron James was the other one. I know it's LeBron, but he missed. He missed you know, a bunch. Yeah, he's missed too many quarter, games. A quarter, third of the season, like to poll a vote is a little bit ridiculous, but I think they just wanted him to – he polled one fifth place vote to poll a vote, so he has that historic – he's been in the MVP conversation or voting every year, I believe, in his career. So he's polled at least one vote, I believe. So that carries on that mantra to talk about. But we got Thibs right as well, coach of the year, although he copped a lot of shit for <laughs> not mentioning <laughs> our Phoenix Suns brethren and Monty Williams, which, yes, we made a mistake, but – that mistake worked out well for us because we're right about Thibs. So we got that one right. We both got Randall right for most improved player. That was a no-brainer. I think most people, even Stevie Wonder, got that one right. How about Utah? How'd Utah do? Utah did well. Utah Utah did well. Uh, Quinn Snyder, he did. I think he was in the top five. I think he was third, actually. And then, yeah, defensive defensive player of the year was Rudy Gobert, which which we both, I think we both picked. I think I said Go, I think I said Simmons just based on some big man-isms where they wouldn't want another big man to win it, but they actually gave it to Rudy again. Yeah. I mean, Utah, I'm never going to be allowed in fucking Utah again. Not only do I name their coach Utah, but Bogdanovich is the foreign guy. So it would be <laughs> actually a great it would be a great sitcom, Utah the foreign guy, and just have like a cowboy shootout or something at a fucking new, a new sitcom. Good old Utah. Yeah, I mean, they're probably not letting you in for a while. But yeah, we got, got some awards, right? So that was nice. Um, they... Uh, all, all deserved, and yeah, maybe we should just stick to the individual fan voting that you hate so much because they're the only ones we're getting right at the moment. Oh fuck, yeah, that that look, no respect, no disrespect again to D Rose, but come on, man, like you know what it should be, Bogues. They should have like a, like a cutoff point, and then all right, here's the ten, like pull the top ten people that you could actually vote for, and then you vote for them because like I that agree. that at least. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like if you're in the if you're Another in the top of people. ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, you got a chance. Like, yo, know, you got a chance. But if you're like you know, if you're the thirty eighth best player and you get a vote, or in that case, you know, D Rose being, I don't know, the hundredth best player in the league, you know, and you get a vote, I mean, it just takes a little off the you know, it takes a little off the MVP. Well not only that, imagine it comes down to the the, the one and two come down to a vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And some asshole yeah. gives their no one doubt. vote to Derek Rose, where it's like, let's say, for argument's sake, it was Jokic and Embiid were the two, one and two, and three was way, no chance of winning, right? Where it's like, okay, it's come down to these two, you're either voting one or two, everyone's voting one or two based on these two guys, and some asshole gives the one to to some guy that, you know, hasn't, hasn't even started half the season, you're like, man, like, that could cost someone an award in the future, so... Hopefully they um they clean that one up. It's kind of similar to the All Star voting, but there's no as we've spoken about before. There's no real pure way to do anything these days. Humans have bad traits and there's bias, and you're never going to fix that completely. So however they tweak the rule or change the rule, there's always going to be someone that's going to circumnavigate it. All right, so our boy Christas Porzingis. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna say I called this months ago. I discussed his body language on the court. I just saw something. I saw something there, Pro. I saw that there's been some frustration for, I think, for a year, year plus. I think part of it is the Luca versus Porzingis, whose team is this, early on when they came together. 
It was still Lucas, but it wasn't so heavy slided, I don't think. There was still some intrigue about Porzingis, whereas now it's like, yeah, it's completely clear whose team it is. I think there's a portion of that that's probably in Porzingis' head. As, we, as we've said, there's people in Porzingis' camp, whether it's an agent, a brother, an auntie, an uncle saying, you're getting screwed, man. You need the keys to your own team. This is bullshit, blah, blah, blah. That's definitely happening. And it's, it's starting to be aired publicly, so um, reported by Tim McMahon, my favorite reporter of all time when I spent my time there in Dallas Pro. Porzingis has been frustrated, often feeling more like an afterthought than a co-star as Doncic dominates the ball. Porzingis frequently made thinly veiled references during his post-game media availabilities, such as saying the ball actually moved tonight after a high scoring performance or stating the offense didn't involve him on low scoring nights. It's just the plays we were running, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and then he goes on to be asked more about that He's asked about how 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 does Porzingis fit within the Mavericks moving forward. His answer was, good question. Pausing to, to recollect his thoughts. How do I feel? I mean, I'm good. I try to put in the work, try to work hard. I do my part, listen to the coaches. What I'm asked to do, and that's it. I try to keep it simple for myself so I'm not overthinking things. I try to focus on what I can control. That's being a better basketball player. Going into the offseason hungry. I want to get better physically. And on the basketball court, I'm going to put that work in and get better. And the rest of the stuff will resolve itself. So the elephant in the room that you've spoken about many a times, he's owed $101.5 million over the next three seasons, a contract that executives and scouts around the league view as an albatross. If Porzingis isn't a championship caliber sidekick, and he isn't likely to be a ticket to one in the trade market, it's hard to see how the Mavs get a second star in the near future. So I guess we're both right and both wrong, but um, you know, at times we've said you can even trade a vacuum cleaner that has a max contract, any contract's tradable, but this this might look like the, the vacuum cleaner that's broken down, Pro, but can the Mavs find a unique way to get rid of him, or is it just going to be a, an issue where he's, he's just going to be padding up and down the court for the next season plus? I mean- if anybody could do it, Donnie Nelson can. I mean, Donnie's one of the best ever at fucking creating, you know, trades and creating things. But, like, here's what I don't like about media, basketball. Like, everybody's shitting on Porzingis the whole time. Like, shitting on him, shitting on him, shitting on him. Like, I get it. Like, and part of it I understand why. It's the pro- productivity part. I get it. But like I, I said on prior podcasts, they trade for him, which is trades 100%. They gave up nothing to get the guy. So they get him. And everybody's happy about getting him. Now he's hurt and he couldn't play. But everybody thought that they got maybe something that sort of resembles the next Dirk. They didn't know exactly what they had with Luca yet, but he was trending up at a, at a good pace. They signed him to 150 million, five years. Not really much brushback because it was at the time is probably 50-50 that he was going to re-sign with them. They didn't really have great luck signing like number one options in the past. So they didn't know if they were going to get him. So they got him and everybody's happy. The problem is they didn't play these two, those two guys together. And his game is posting up, facing up, playing out of the elbow. Rim running. He was an okay defender, a little bit overrated in my opinion, but a decent defender. But he was an offensive, you know, he was very good offensively. The problem is he's a little overrated as a shooter as far as like a deep ball shooter. The game itself is played a a lot differently from when he was very good early in his career in New York. He's always had injury issues. That was, uh, continues to be an issue to this day. So, you know, so that's, that's an issue. The way Luca needs to score is a lot like James Harden in, in that sense. He needs to dribble the ball a lot. He needs to create. But I think Luca's a better player because Luca, I think, is a more willing passer. 
And I think Lucas plays a lot better with three shooters and a five that just rolls and, you know, rolls in defense. And that's not what Porzingis does. But Porzingis really isn't a, a good enough deep ball threat. Like for him to be really good in today's game, he needs to be a roller to a spacer, needs to be able to make the three at the 40%, 41% clip, which he doesn't do. He needs to be able to defend, which you see, you know, because of his lack of mobility in pick and roll coverages, anytime that God gets into the, you know, into the pick and roll and he's got to try to stay in front, the guy, you know, because of his legs being so skinny, they just, you know, they just put their shoulder into him and he's a sieve when it comes to giving up points. And I think a lot of that has to do with some of the injuries that he's had. So now let's talk about the contract. It's three years left at 101 million. Everyone's saying, well, everything's tradable, this and that, this and that. So the th- I guess different things could be done, three-way trades and all that to try to you know be a little more creative. I think the three contracts that come to light that might have a chance of trading is Andrew Wiggins' contract in Golden State, Kemba Walker's contract in Boston, and Kevin Love's contract in Cleveland. But here's the thing. All these fucking gurus that go on ESPN trade uh, trade checker and just like come up with these crackpot trades that just because the salaries work doesn't mean trades can get done. Because now I'm the other team. I'm Boston. And I have issues with Kemba Walker, right? Like, I guess. I, I like Kemba, but yeah, for sure. He's, you know, he's been injured. He hasn't really performed at a really high, high level, but he's about 20 point a game score. The problem is with Boston, do you want to take on an extra year and an extra 30 plus million? Plus you get Kemba, which you know is warts, you know is bad part of his game. But it's better sometimes, in my opinion, to have a guy on your roster that like you know they're warts and they could still play at a really high level. And they're a ball handler, which in today's game, ball handlers are worth a lot more than bigs if you're going to be, give big contracts. So do you want to take Kristaps Porzingis, which you don't know much about, and he may not fit into where the game's played considering what you're going to have to pay him. Does the Cleveland Cavaliers, who, like, Kevin Webb just does what he does, do they want to take a crack at Porzingis? Maybe. But, again, you're going to have to take on – they're still getting their rookie contracts and they're trying to shed salary, and now you're going to bring on all this other salary on a player that may not be able to fit. And then you got Golden State, who pays so much fucking tax money and is going to have to, you know – give up their scorer to get to him. But again, I don't even know if that trade could really work. If you're Dallas, in my opinion, you're going to have to give out a shitload of uh, assets. Like to me, if I was taking Porzingis on a trade, the first thing I'm I'm, I'm asking for is picks, obviously. I'm asking for at least two of your role players. So I'm, I'm, I'm at least, don't talk to me unless you're you're going to give me Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleber minimum. Now, I don't exactly know how the sign-and-trades work, but, like, if you're going to sign-and-trade Hardaway and I'd have to give you something else, that's fine. But, like, the only way they're going to do it is if a team gets a bunch of assets, a bunch of picks, and at least two of their role players that actually, like, really fit in. Their role players fit greatly in. Uh, to Dallas. So I don't know, Bogues, in my opinion, if they can get this deal done. But like you said, you could trade anything these days. But I just don't under like even Chris Paul, even, you know, John Wall, Westbrook, 
those contracts that everyone says were untradeable, those guys at least had value. Like like John Wall, if he was healthy, can get into a game and score 20 points because of how the game's played. You know, Westbrook could do it. You know, like Chris Paul obviously can, you know, even when he was banged up in Houston and no one thought he had much left in the tank, could still do some things. I just don't see it. Now, Porzingis is a good player. Like, he's a good player. If you want to post up, he could score points. You know, he could, you know, he could pick and pop and, and take, you know, t- one dribble pull up. He's not a fluid athlete. Like, he's not like, you know, he's not like an Embiid even. Like, Embiid can move. Even Cousins, before he got hurt, that guy can move a little bit before post, you know, injuries. He, he just, he's a pop-up shooter and he's a very streaky one. And he's a post-up player, which no one wants to post up anymore. And he's not a true rim protector. So I don't know with that contract, it's going to be really tough. Yeah, it is. And just based on the salary he's earning, I mean, um, I guess it comes down to, how, you know, will, will he pat around coming into preseason? Will he pat around and make some noise and, and not be, you know, not be engaged? I mean, he's essentially their second leader in that locker room based on contracts. Um, Luca's obviously the leader and then you got Porzingis as your next next paid guy. So hopefully they can figure it out. But it, I just, you know, we, we see these stories all the time in the NBA and, it, you know, someone's going to end up getting screwed. It's either Porzingis, it's either the Dallas Mavs, it's either the team that gets him. I anticipate something being done eventually um, because I just I just can't see how they how they fix that and, and knowing how Ricky is and knowing how, how that organization is and, and it is Luca's team that they're, they're going to conserve you know, conserve all their energy for making sure Luca resigns there and making sure they're keeping Luca happy before they even think about giving a hug to Porzingis. And that's my opinion on it. I think they'll try to salvage it to an extent, but they're gonna they're gonna, you know, Porzingis is gonna come to that realization pretty quickly. Like you're an afterthought compared to Luca on this team, buddy. So if you don't like that, you know, you're gonna have to move on. But then that question is of where do we move you, you know, um, and how do we move you? And that's going to be interesting. Yeah, and they just can't send him home. He's got three years left. It's not like exactly. his last year of his deal. Yeah, so you can't do that. You could stretch him out. So the stretch out, would, in my, I think, to my knowledge, they'd have to pay the $101 million over seven years. So instead of having $30 plus million on your cap, it's like $14 million on your cap for seven years. So I don't think they want to do that because they have to have four more years of – 14 plus million they could like on a bio like if i'm him i'm sitting there with three years i'm probably not going to take like a lot off my buyout you know i'm not i want I, I, i'm like why would you um and that's a problem like i said you could say to him hey look let's try to make this work you will we'll run post-ups we'll do all this but we got to do it when luke is not in the game so we got to bring you off the bench and again I know I keep saying I'm a broken fucking record, a fat fucking record. I get it. But like the only way that you could really do it with him, again, bring him in the game at the end of Luca's first, you know, before you sub Luca out, maybe the last few minutes of that, and then play him like five straight minutes without Luca and just run post up and ISO and put shooters around him and get him happy, get him engaged, see if he still has it, which I think he does. I just... You got to play them. In my opinion, Bogues, like you got to play the game around what you have talent wise, like around your players, not your players around your system, especially a player like that. Like, you you know, it's tough just to change his game and say, hey, 
85% of your game I know is post-up, so we're just not going to do it anymore. And now we're just going to ask you to shoot logo threes and do all this other stuff. It's just – it's hard for him, but he's got to realize that he's not a knockdown shooter and he needs to get much better at that. But I think it's going to be tough to move him. I don't think they're going to bring him off the bench. Got I got a better chance of losing 30 pounds this summer. And, yeah, that's where I see it. Yep. Yeah, we'll watch that space. I, I like the bench roll. We've, we've mentioned that. I just don't. I don't think he buys into it. I just think he feels like nah. He feels like he's being wasted away by just becoming a role player on that team. But when you have an elite, an elite, elite, elite scoring guard in Luka Doncic, you kind of, you know, you're gonna have to take that back seat because if you, you make it a battle between you and him, they're getting you out as soon as they can. It'll be interesting no, no. to watch that space. The other, other guy that that is on the rumor mill who's just come back and said he wants to remain there, is Kemba Walker in Boston. So, you know, they have Tatum, who demands a lot of the ball, Jalen Brown, who's, who's who you'd argue is the same, Marcus Smart can, you know, have games where he's shooting 15 shots. I mean, Kemba being a, a shoot-first point guard, I don't think I don't, I don't think he fits in that roster period. I think it was a risk by Ainge and kind of had to make it at the time. You know, Kemba was a great player in Charlotte, but and they didn't really know the ceiling of a Tatum and a Brown together. But now that you do, I think... Yeah, I just don't think Kemba fits, and and it looks like he might be the odd man out there that will be will be moved on once the once the Celtics obviously figure out who the head coach is. Yeah, I think it's a little easier too to move his deal, even though it is thirty. You know, it is thirty four million this year, and you know, um, I forgot what he's making the next year. But anyways, like he's got two years left. Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Shoot, he's got three years. No, no, two years. So he's got thirty six next year, and he's got thirty seven six the next year. Um, I'm not sure about the options and things, but. Um, it's a little movable because again, he can get into a game. He could score. He could, he could handle the ball. He can do some things. He's a little, probably a little bit easier to move a deal like that. Like it's rumored that they're trying to look to Dallas, um, you know, to go to, you know, to put him with Luca and to trade him for Porzingis. I mean, that might be a doable deal if Dallas throws enough in as far as picks and, and maybe a, a role player to get Boston to bite. But um, 30 years old, knee injury, you know, it's uh, – Ainge had to do it at the time because Brown and Tatum's extensions were coming up and their, their cap room was going to go away. So they needed to, to make a move. They just lost Kyrie, so they had to replace him with something. I think they just lost Horford as well. And you know how that free agency shit works. Like guys kept, get, keep getting off the board. you got to get guys that are on, on the top of the board early. And I think they just sort of jumped into that. It's uh, – yeah, it's a, it's a tough situation, but I think it's a little easier because he's got one less year than Porzingis. And, you know, and plus, like, after one year, you can get off his contract, you know, again and or stretch him out uh, for that last year of his deal, you know, if you acquire him. You know, like I said, the game's played. It's a lot easier to move a ball handling scorer on pick and roll and, you know, uh, than, than it is a big guy in, in today's market making that 30-plus million mark. Yeah, and there are some other small markets that could use him. You know, an Orlando, you know, a Detroit, you know, a team like that that's a small market trying to rebuild, get a just get a scoring guard in there to, I guess, keep bums on seats as you're as you're rebuilding and actually give you a chance to maybe get scrape into the playoffs. There are teams that could use him, so it'll be interesting to see if there's any bids for him. But another interesting one that you sent me, Pat Riley was fined twenty five thousand dollars for merely 
mentioning LeBron on a podcast, the comments went something like this. I would leave the key under the doormat if he would call me and let me know that he's coming. I would do that, but I doubt very much that key that key is rusted now. I wish him nothing of the best, but if he ever wanted to come back, I'll put a new shiny key under the mat. Fine, 25K pro. I mean, it's- I mean, come on. I mean- kind of, uh, There's tampering and then there's, you know- Anyone in the league would make that same comment. If LeBron was considering your team, you'd welcome him with open arms. The best player, one of the best players in the world. Yeah, he's getting older, but let's be honest. You know, Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry, LeBron Luka. James, Kevin Durant, Luka Doncic. Anyone in their right mind would be like, "Yeah, Ryan Prokhorov." <laughs> what do you need? Yeah, we'll we'll give it to you. you want you want ten silver keys? Well, you know, it goes without saying. It's an obvious statement. He's not saying really anything detrimental. To the organization that LeBron's with, he's not really selling Miami being more beautiful. He's just saying, yeah, if you wanted to come back, we'd, we'd sign him. I, I think that's a bit much by the NBA. How do you see? How do you see the fine for that one? I mean, a smart move for twenty five grand. First of all, you get five hundred to a million dollars in advertising. I mean, especially that he's probably making like I don't know what he's making. He's probably making at least ten million. I mean, twenty five grand's a slap in the fucking wrist, you know, and. He don't give a fuck. And everybody like sort of like looks at it, you know, eyes are on it now. He, he pays 25 grand. His owner probably paid it for him. It's probably, you know, I mean, that's a blatant tampering. Like, it, look, if that's what the rules of tampering are, like you can't mention players' names in interviews or whatnot. And it, that's not even like accidental. That's like, but that's smart. Like, again, if, if the tampering rules are a million dollars, then he, the, people will probably think differently of doing it. But if you're going to find the guy 25 grand, and again, I think, and, and I got to look back at what Morey said, and I know we're going to talk about it next, but like, this looks a little bit more blatant, you know, blatant than, you know, than what Morey said. But like, all these guys know that the, the NBA is on the prowl. You know, literally an NBA player could have a, a bag of cash on national TV, giving it to a free agent to sign with them, and the, the league will never find them. But like, they're going to find all these executives and coaches for saying this stuff in interviews. I mean, it's pretty easy to, to say that this is finable because of the rules. But, um, yeah, it's a little bit fucking nuts, to be honest. Well, the next one the next one is exactly that. Daryl Morey, he was fined 75,000K, so a little bit higher than the 25 you spoke about, for simply tweeting a picture of Seth Curry celebrating after he hit a three, saying, join him. Now, people rolled up straight away and said that he was – referring to Steph Curry joining them. And he probably was. <laughs> but my concern with this fine is there's a lot of hearsay in that tweet. And Maury's a smart man. And like you said, he probably got some good advertising out of it and got his message across. But once we start policing hearsay, it's a slippery slope. I mean, join him, pick a Seth Curry. Okay, yeah, you can kind of put two and two together and say that's aimed at his brother. Join us. You're a free agent. You haven't signed your extension yet. But uh, I'm kind of I don't know, man. I don't I don't think that's you know I, I just I just really struggle once you start getting into someone's mind with what they meant with a tweet because context is in the eye of the beholder, pretty much. Um, all of a sudden, you got to start doing some CSI investigations on anyone's comments about hey, what did you really mean by that? Did you did you mean that's a good point. You know, I'd probably argue against myself by saying Maury knew what he was doing and Maury probably will tell you one day that, yeah, I was. It was a, a subtle jab at Steph Curry to come and play with his brother. But I like the beauty of the hearsay. He's left enough out there to not be fine, but he's still got fine 75K. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Like, 
hearsay, that's the gray area, right? Like, who's the king in charge that's going to, like, you know, that's going to be the judge and jury on this stuff, on what's hearsay, what's not hearsay. So it is a little bit, like, murky, right? But, like, you know all these GMs are going to do it. It's funny, like, in the league, some GMs can get away with that shit. And then there's another, some other GMs that will they'll get fired and their whole family will make sure they get fired the rest of their lives if they did anything close to this. So it's funny that some people could get away with it with their organizations, some can't. With Daryl Morey, with, you know, with his Twitter account, I mean, the poor bastard and fucking owner in Houston, he owns all these restaurants, Landry's restaurants all over the country. He had to add a fucking supersize option to all his fucking menus because of the last tweet this guy did, you know, that Daryl did. <laughs> Free you know, Hong you, Kong. You know, yeah. So he already popped his cherry with getting in trouble with some of this stuff. But yeah, it is a little bit ridiculous if you're just going hearsay. With It's funny, like I said, 75 grand. That they that they find them, and that was sort of like a little like coded, right? And then Riley was like direct, like LeBron about coming, and he gets fined twenty five. So it's a little inconsistent, in my opinion. But yeah, but like again, you have to have some type of law and order, and you got to police it somehow. You just got to be consistent with it. But these guys, are, you know, they make too much money. So either you make these fines 500 grand where people aren't fucking around and you have black and white rules about it, or you just continue these like slap on the wrist 25 grand. I'll just say it just to bump the kid, you know, like, you know, just to, just to get people going and, and some media going that we want the kid. And it's going to cost me 25 grand. Like I said, that's a million dollars in advertising you get for 20. That's a pretty good fucking investment. That's yeah. better than Bitcoin. But I've got two things. One thing, let's say a lot of these executives and GMs these days are former legends. So Pat Riley, former Laker legend, former Miami Heat legend, you know. So if you, you come out and ask Pat Riley, okay, who's the best player to ever play for Miami, in your opinion? And he says LeBron James. Is that tampering? Is that is that tampering? Like No. It's not? No. Okay. No. Okay. Um, if he said it's LeBron James and I would, I would have loved to have seen him finish his career in Miami, is that tampering? That's what I mean. See what I mean? Like there's a lot of slippery slopes yeah. of this shit and that's what, you know, and let's be honest, pro, where's the real tampering done? Behind closed fucking oh, doors. Players. Yeah, behind yeah, closed doors. Behind it's, it's, done via, yeah. it's done via text messages and DMs and phone calls. And for these idiots out there that think a free agent signs with the team on the day free agency opens, you're an idiot. I've got, I got a, you know, I've got a mountain to sell you out here and I've got some sand to sell you on the beach. Like this stuff is done months in advance, years sometimes. The LeBron, D Wade, Chris Bosch thing, those, those, that that was all coming together years before it happened, right? And you know, I guess the NBA just is frowning upon it being public. But let's not kid ourselves. Tampering's at a hundred times that when the cameras aren't on. I'll give you another hypothetical. Ethan Strauss says, "I'm going to leave a, a a donut under my mat for Pro to join my podcast." You know, I always leave it. First of all, that fucking donut won't rust like that fucking key in Miami. Are you going to find Strauss? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Am I going to find Strauss for what, tampering with? Yeah, for, for tampering with me saying on a podcast, if I leave a donut under my mat for pro, <laughs> he's always welcome on my podcast for, for, and to leave boats. What are you going to do? I mean, it, it's, it's a part of the is, – is it really tampering though? Like if you're, if you're doing everything you can for your player and your player is happy there or your coach, I'm a firm believer that they'll stay. Look, I, I, this is put in for the small markets. Um, 
you know, so we can protect those superstars. But I don't know, man. I, I just think that agents are doing that shit years in advance. Um, you know, hey, our, our, our guy's not happy here, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like a GM Bro, you're never going to stop it. Yeah, GM tweets something that's kind of open-ended like Daryl Morey did, which, I, you know, I think was quite clever to an extent because he left it open to not get fined and still gets fined. And you're just like, ugh. I don't know, man. Like, you know, we knew like the Lake, everyone in the whole of California knew LeBron was signing at the Lakers before he probably even signed. Like, you know, is that tampering? You know, Magic Johnson took the fall for it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. but, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's that, that's, that's the chess of having a good agent and having a good GM and having a good front office is if you, if you are that stupid and naive to wait to talk to a player when you're legally allowed to, which is the day free agency opens. You're not going to have one free agent to sign. <laughs> You're going to have the same roster no. you had last season. Look, you got to put your head down. You got to do the best job that you can. You got to make your city as attractive as possible, not on how the city is, because most of these cities aren't attractive. You know, there's, there's about 10 or 12 that are not attractive. The only way you can make them attractive is winning and adding talent and drafting well and having the right coach. And doing the right things. But all 30 teams have gotten fucked with tampering. They've gotten fucked with an agent going behind doors, another player going behind and working a, a you know, working somebody in that player's crew to get them to a team. It is what it is. It's like college basketball. It's gonna ramp it cheating all over the place. You're never gonna stop it. You can put, you know, like I like we always say, you know, UCLA cheats. You know, so fucking Eastern Kentucky can get fucking, you know, can get fucking, you know, whacked on the wrist. It just is what it is. So you're never going to stop it. Teams, the only way you could just keep on doing it and keep on like doing the best job you can to keep your players is, is put your organization the best possible way to be successful. And even that might not be good enough. So it is what it is. You just got to fucking roll with the punches. You're going to get punched in the gut. You got to just roll with it and you got to keep going because... What are you going to do? You're never going to stop this shit. It's always going to go. And like I said, these GMs who do it, they, you know, they, for 25 grand, you get a 150 grand, you got a million dollars worth of PR. People think you're edgy and it, it gets a little bit of a good, uh, you know, good words about you because you're tough and this and that. And then you can get another job off of this anyway. So like, you know, there's also some self-promotion going on and doing these things to, like, make people say, well, he, that guy's edgy, you know? Yeah, it's a big shit show. It's just By like anything way, else. Your uh, analogy of UCLA and Eastern Kentucky, did you steal that off Jeff Van Gundy? Because he actually said it on air the other, the other day. You know, you know what? I just thought about it. And I don't like saying teams because, like, I don't want people to think they're cheating, you know, <laughs> automatically. But he did say that. I, I think I said, like, Bowling Green before. No, no. Utah Valley State or something. I always like to say an obscure school at the end. So I don't sued. give a fuck about the first school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe he listens to the pod and stole it. Who knows? Yeah, that motherfucker. All right, so, so Kevin Durant has been back in the news and he's been pushing back on, on, on media, media bullshit. And I like it. I think not Kwame, not quite Kwame Brown esque, but KD cops a lot of shit from numerous people for you know numerous reasons. But one thing I will respect about him, and he went at our boy Sherwood Strauss numerous times, is he kind of he's he's pretty observant, reads a lot, um, not only about his team but himself, and, and and takes on himself, and doesn't like doesn't like BS, and, and will will have the balls to go out and, and 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 call media out about it. The latest one was with Jay Williams, ESPN said something like. <laughs> that KD said something along the lines to to somebody, don't you ever compare me to Giannis again? Don't ever compare me to that dude. Blah blah blah. Where KD caught wind of it 
and put out a uh, a tweet saying, "Mans will do anything to advance their careers in this media shit, wanting to be accepted by an industry that will dispose of you whenever they please. Keep me out of that corny ass talk about who's better and legacy and all that dumb ass shit. I don't even talk like that. So heavily double down on, on all those comments. And, and look, we know media sell, we talk about it, they sell clicks, they sell clickbait, headlines, all that. But I mean, I think it's needed. I think, um, you know, if someone's going to come out and blatantly lie about things or use sources or whatever and and you're involved and you're that player and you want to come out and and and, and completely deny it when you you know you're 100% right i have no issue with it um as long as you have facts and you can back up what you're saying but yeah it's just been interesting because there's been a lot of back and forth and and we're seeing more and more players now starting starting to do that but i think KD's arguably the probably the only hall of famer um i can i can really really recap at the top of my head that 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 just doesn't play the political game with the media, doesn't buy into all the Hollywood shit. He literally just wants to play basketball and, and chill. Like, and um, that's what his that's what his description was on his Twitter account for a number of years. I just I play basketball and I chill, and I think he just wants to be left alone. Um, but I mean, we know the media is important to an extent, but I, I like the pushback, bro. Yeah, I mean, I think he sort of copied what Juan Dale did me did to me when I kept kept him off the Boomer Squad first cut, but you know. Um, no, seriously though, with the Durant thing, you know, I always say like, you never can tell, you can never tell a guy how to feel or a person how to feel. And they're going to feel a certain way if you put their name in there or don't put their name in there, they're going to feel a certain way. And like back in the day, players didn't have a lot of, you know, they didn't have a, a big platform before Twitter and all this stuff to go back at the, the media. So the media could write what they wanted and the player, the only the only way the player could do that, you know, is confront the media person when they saw him again or whatever. Now it's just such an uh, it's open season. Like anybody could call anybody out. And hey, look, he didn't like what was said. He he went right back at it. Players today, folks, like they don't. And I, and I know it wasn't just a particular story, but like players don't like being compared to other players. Like 15 years ago, they loved it. They love being called the next Larry Bird, the next Jordan, the next whoever. Like they, they lived for that. If you if you pay attention to what these, um, you know, what are these like interviews, and they say, "Well, you're compared to this," he goes, "No, I, I want to compare myself to me. You know, I'm unique." Like they don't like it for one reason or another. But yeah, like look, if a player is going to call you out, they're going to call you out. I think any time. Look, we're in that too. Like we, to me, like I. I'll share stories on players, but like there is a line that I don't want to cross. If it's a like a a real private conversation that I think is a private one between my player and I, I would never share it. If it's some bullshit about like fucking me and Eddie Curry going at each other or Kwame Brown and a and a, and a can of Sprite just fucking around, like that's a little different. But like I think as a media person, especially someone who's been around athletes, if you're gonna share stories. You're going to have to like pay the price if that player takes that shit the wrong way and you're just going to live with it. And I saw, I saw Jay Williams actually talk about it. And then Steven Jackson got involved and, you know, he got involved in killing Jay Will and Jay Will took it, you know, took it to heart and all this stuff. So it's like, it's a big shit show is what it is. But sometimes you get, especially in this day and age, folks, at anybody, you know, from the best reporter to the worst one, and everybody in between, you got to get ready for somebody to fire back at you on social media if they feel as if they feel a certain way on what you read, what you wrote about them. 
Like, which is, which is know, somewhat frowned upon. Think? I mean, it's somewhat, it was frowned upon back in the day. It was that whole mentality yeah. of like, you need to suck it up because you're an athlete. If someone says something bad about you, take it. Whereas now I think the script's starting to flip a little bit where I think, I think you have a right at all times to defend yourself first and foremost and your family. But mm-hmm. if you want to fire back, you have every right to. I mean, just because you're in the public eye and you're paid millions of dollars doesn't mean people can just say whatever they want about you. And and, and then there is a respectful yeah. way to go back and forth about it. I hate I hate the comparing players to players thing because I think it's it's so subjective. It could be disrespectful. It could be disrespectful to the player you're comparing to. Different eras we always talk about. I mean, dudes playing in Dunlop, you know, uh, Dunlop, Converse, All Stars, whatever you want to call them, um, back in the '60s compared to now. You know, there's so many different factors. So I, I hate comparing for that, but I like it by KD. I, I think he has every right to go back. We also touched on his aggressive DMs probably ten podcasts ago when he went at the other reporter a little too aggressively. Uh, but hey, yeah. you know, at least he has he has the balls to put it out there, and I've I've got nothing against that. So I just think it hold it will hold. No one who can hold the media accountable these days. Nobody, you know, and. We see it not only in the NBA, but we see it with political reporting. We see it with coronavirus reporting. We see it with no one holds these assholes to account when they're wrong, you know. And and when they are wrong, you know, the 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 retraction is two weeks later, and it's the size of you need a microscope to find it in the newspaper or online, right? So yeah, I have no issue with people going back at them, and I think it's fair game as no. long as as long as it's not condoning violence or anything of the sorts or, or doxing people. I've got no issue with it. Yeah, he's always been unique, you know. God forbid, I'm not going to share a story with him. I promise, because I don't, I don't want to get fucking called out either. But you know, like all my interactions with him, um, and then I interacted with him early in his career, not much late, middle or late, but like first couple of years, he's always been a unique guy and did things his way. Like you know, he didn't really want to follow a script. He, you know, even Kobe like wanted to follow anything Jordan did, copy Jordan, everything. That's just what he wanted to do. That motivated him, and he was a great player you know, one of the best of all time. And he, he had a path by following, a, you know, one of the best players, you know, the, arguably the best player ever. With Durant, it just seemed like he just wanted to do it his way. And I, like I said, I do, like, I think if a, if a, a reporter has a, a right to write about your performance in a game, you know, to a certain degree, of course, being respectful, like not going, no, no cheap shots or whatever. If you stunk and you're one for 11 and you weren't a factor and you were disengaged in the game and they write about that, you know, hey, look, you can, you can go back at them if you want, whatever. But if you're going to start doing editorial pieces and you're going to start doing, you know, little different pieces that just sort of throw shots or, you know, put you in a situation that you weren't in or is a little unfair. Yeah, I think it's totally open season for you, you know, to fire back. That's what social media is all about. Yeah, it's interesting. But, you know, hey, glad it ain't us, brother. Glad it ain't us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me and Lawndale, we still have a long way to go. And yeah, so we'll see. I'll introduce him to you when, uh, when uh, they, they go over for Boomer's Camp in Vegas. You can fly out and, and catch up. Have, have a have a nice buffet with him. <laughs> yeah, uh, on him. All right. So, how important do you think a uh, a bench rotation is these days, bro? A bench rotation? Yeah. Oh, I think it's tremendously important. Tremendously important. I think it's tremendously. Yeah. What What, what do you What do you think? <laughs> There's a. Oh fuck! <laughs> you just set me up, motherfucker! I thought you were actually talking basketball. Nah, you prick. Nah, so what, what do you got? Apparently, um, a certain Brooklyn player. Who shall remain unnamed? Okay. Um, former porn star claims an NBA player brought a backup woman during a date. So, I mean, we talk about a bench rotation being important, but that, that's carried to off the floor for a few players. Hmm. 
What are your so, thoughts there? Is it a solid? Is it a solid? Is it a winning strategy? I, I guess he, I guess he uh, just thought if this isn't the one, I've got someone sitting right next to me, and they can just I can get rid of the first rotation girl, and then um, just slide the second rotation girl, and just pay the one tab, just um, use the same plate of food and drink and whatnot. Yeah, I always bring a backup hot dog wherever I'm at, or a cheeseburger. But I, a backup woman on a date, there's no fucking chance. I already got another uh, one girl to marry me. I, I couldn't handle two. So what happened, folks? I, I, I don't didn't know. even hear about the it's story. It's just funny. First off, it's, it's funny that a porn, former porn star is getting media attention for, you know, talking about her dating life is number one. Like what? who who the hell yeah. would pen this article? That's my first gripe. The second gripe I just thought it was funny. Like I've never really thought about um, having the balls to bring a backup date to my date. <laughs> Porn star aside, good for that. Porn star aside, good I, for th- look. I think I think the backup's probably not needed, considering the first rotation is a porn star. I think your chances are pretty a pretty solid pro that you you're, you're going to have a good night. <laughs> I'd, I'd hope, <laughs> but yeah, just just an interesting, funny story I saw. Um, just just uh, I don't even know who sent it to me. I just thought it was funny that you know, like I said, first off, that a porn star is getting articles written about her about her dating life, and then number two that. A balls NBA player has a has a bench rotation off the floor as well. Hmm, that's pretty. That's pretty good. Hmm, says it all. We'll move on from that one. Um, stats useful or useless? There's a few here. How good was Kawhi in the series against the Dallas Mavericks? 200 total points scored on 60 percent field goal percentage in a playoff series in NBA history. Kawhi Leonard, Shaquille O'Neal in the 2000 Finals. Bernard, which was two, year 2000. Bernard King, 1984, first round. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 1977, conference semis. That's it. That's the list. That's fantastic. I mean, that is a pretty good fucking list. Uh, the Bernard King's won in 84. I think he was going against Isaiah Thomas in, in Detroit. And, like, they were going at it. I think he had, like, something like 50. Isaiah had some, like, some ungodly number he put up. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty impressive. You know, Kawhi was very impressive in that first round. I mean, anytime they needed a basket, it seemed like he was a fucking cyborg. He just got it done anytime he needed a basket, you know, and he, he was an efficient, efficient assassin yeah, when he was playing the Mavericks. 60%, in game. 60% even in a game is, is impressive, but over the course of a playoff series yeah. in the back the and forth. The whole series is ridiculous. So, yeah. I would say useless, uh, useful, sorry. Um, next one we have, okay, Donovan Mitchell needed three minutes and 14 seconds <laughs> to, to reach 10 points the fastest to double figures by a jazz player in a playoff game over the last 25 seasons, bro. Useful or useless? Uh, useless. Useless. I that's, don't That's I mean, another one. I'm like, how, like, is there, there has to be some sort of app or some sort of program where you can type shit in and it just spits it out. Surely there has to be. Cause oh, I, yeah. They do. They have that stuff. I, I haven't been on it. I know the media has use of it, but it, that's the thing, Bogues. It's just like, it's just fucking tiring. Everything's every day's a record. Every fucking first. And that's why we have this, this segment the first, for these very yeah. <laughs> these very reasons. You can't go. You can't go thirty fucking seconds anymore without a record being fucking broken. Hearing this statement, he's the first. He's the first. She's the first. Like two things. You, you're talking about pet peeves about half court heaves. Here are my two pet peeves. There's a record broken every two fucking seconds, and every day's a day. Dog day, pizza, well, pizza day is great, but like, you know, bring your uh, dog to work day, uh, you know, sunshine day, oh, man, yeah, brother yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Every, first of all, who the fuck, who the fuck is the king that anoints these days? I want to fucking know. That's two pet peeves of mine. 
fucking every a record's broken every two fucking seconds. Everybody gets a trophy. And the second one is every, every day's a day. Like just how about a day we just shut the fuck up and just be quiet. quiet day. One fucking day. <laughs> quiet day. That could be your day, that's bro. It, that was my rant. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, a yeah. fair rant. I, I think it's a very fair rant. These these days are getting out of control. There's there's, there's dog day, cat day, mum day, dad day, mother's day, then yeah. a separate mother's day, then a, a mother who's a dad's day and a dad who's a mother's day, and then a sister day and a brother day and a cousin. You're just like, man, like, you know, cookie day. It never fucking stops. Yeah. There's, never there's fucking a world stops. chocolate day. There's the, oh, I mean, just. Oh, thank, thank. Hey, that's two days. We could, we could have that one. Yeah, but yeah, or, I agree. Every day something. I thought that was, I just don't know how you go on an app. And or a program <laughs> type in through quickest player to score 10 points in NBA jazz playoff history in the last 25 seasons. Like, what are you, what are you, you, you must, oh, just the, Dude, the algorithms. It pays, yeah. it pays not to get laid in high school or college and come up with a fucking app like this. It does because that's those are the people who are fucking making out these days. But my point like is, if there isn't, is. if there isn't an app, I, I think some of this stuff, surely there's not an app. I think some of this stuff, surely just has someone literally having a troll you know, stats.com or ESPN stats and info or Wikipedia and just going through trolls information on their Sunday afternoon. And then by 2 a.m. they have a they have an answer for you. This one little tweet that ESPN is going to put out. <laughs> that's, their, that's their claim to fame. I have to set some fucking swearing record, right? Like, well, there's a lot of good swearers out there for sure, but I got to be up there. I got to be top 20. You think? Can I get, first of all, can I get, can I get a third place MV, MVP vote? Most valuable swear or no, you think? Yeah, you've been there. We'll go, I'm sure there's- Yeah. Hopefully there's some analytics- Just one vote. Analytics people out there that might might go through our podcast and see what the swear to non-swear ratio is for you. I'd probably say you're at- um, well, Some of your longer spiels, there is as much swears, but we'd say 15 to 1, 10 to 1, somewhere around there. 15 to 1, I think is fair. Yeah. I, I think our producer's got to earn, earn his fucking check and start counting my swears and put that total on, on social media. <laughs> Yeah, it took him another eight hours to do it. It's last that <laughs> an international player has won the MVP for three straight seasons. It's the second time that's happened in NBA history. Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki in 05 and 07. It's a global game. Useful or useless? Bogues, I think it's useful. It goes to show you that the game is getting global, not only players playing in it, but the players actually making huge strides and being the best players, you know, in our game and not just you know, not just the third best, fourth best, good role players. Like, you know, my rankings, I'll have, you know, out of the top 10, top 15 players in the league, I got Doncic at three, Jokic at five, Giannis seven, Embiid 10. Um, and that's it. So I've got, let me see, I've got one, two, three, Four in the top 15. I mean, that's pretty fucking good. And Doncic, you know, arguably people would say Doncic is one of the best players in the league. And you've got, so, I mean, people would say he's probably as high as two or three. And then you've got Jokic as the MVP. And then you've got all these players sprinkled into the top 25, 30 players in the game. You know, you got the defensive player of the year is foreign. I mean, I, I think that's useful because it just, telling you that the game's getting better and the players that are coming over here for overseas aren't just an afterthought. They're not just a okay player that, oh, great, another country coming into the States playing the NBA. It's actually they're coming in and they're making huge, huge strides and differences in the game. Yeah, it's useful. What do you think? It's useful, yeah. I think the game is global and 
no one would have thought that would that would be possible 15, 20 years ago. So um, I think the more international players, which was David Stern's MO, right? It was all about if we're going to grow our game to be able to pay guys 40, 50 million a year, we need we need more eyeballs around the world. And um, they've done a fantastic job with that. And obviously technology has helped as well. So I think it's useful. All right, what do you have, fact or fake news? Folks, Clippers, keep the experiment alive one more year. Um, if Utah bounces them out of the playoffs, fact or fake news? Well, it's a tough one. So I've got the salaries pulled up. Paul George is there for the long run. He's got another four five, four years with an option. Kawhi is the elephant in the room. He's um he's got an option uh, next season. So that's going to be the interesting one. But I mean, it's a tough one. Like, do you keep, do you keep that experiment going? I, you know, I, I think if they get bounced by Utah, I think the experiment's over. You got to you got to make some 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 changes. I don't think they're Massive, drastic changes, but is the Kawhi Paul George experiment going to get you a championship? Probably not. If it has in the first two years, I mean, they're pretty pretty hamstrung with what they can do salary wise, and um, I think they're fourth or fifth highest salary in the league. What are they fourth at hundred just under one hundred forty million? You don't really have a lot of flexibility there. Um, you still got Beverly making fourteen million next year. You got Morris on fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen in the next three years after this season. Luke Kennard long term deal twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Zubats is there for seven and a half for the next two years. So it's not like they can do something genius. They're going to have to invest a lot in developing your Terrence man. I think he's got a chance to be a very good player, but they're going to put some some time and energy into him. And then Luke Kennard and developing him, even though he got over you know a, a big salary, they're still going to get his game to a you know a higher level for them to compete. But I think I would say fake news if they if they get bounced by Utah, I think they got to make some changes. You? Yeah, I think they're going to have to make changes for sure. You got the whole Kawhi thing. I think he's got an option. For next year, if I'm not mistaken, yep, he does. And then, and then he could opt out and, and sort of yuck up this sort of, you know, free agent market. If he, um, so he could decide it, or they could deal Paul George, you know, and start getting players, more players to put around Kawhi. And like you said, Terrence Mann, you know, they got Marcus Morris in for four years, uh, three more years after this one. You know, Abaka's got an, a, a player option. I don't know what he's going to do with that. You know, Rondo's at seven and a half. You know, Luke Kennard, I, you could probably move him, but he's going to be tough. He's got four year. He's got four more years that, you know, he's got something like 50 million bucks left in his deal. So, you know, it's going to be tough, but I think that you know how things are. And I thought it was interesting that Bomber had Bob Witsit sitting next to him the last game or two. Uh, now I know they're boys from Seattle, but he used to be the GM of the Portland or president of the Portland Trailblazers. So I thought that was pretty interesting that, that and they could have just been friends and it could have been, you know, just coincidence. But, you know, I don't know if they're going to clean house. I wouldn't surprise me if they get bounced from this, if they, you know, possibly make a coaching change. I don't know, you know, because you got rid of Doc Rivers and you'd expect, you know, because of the fact that quote unquote, he couldn't get past the second round. And, now you replace them with someone who's going to get bounced after being down 2-0, two straight series. But then again, we could just be talking shit right now because they could come back and win the series and then no- nothing's going to happen. Oh, but well, it says if, 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 they, if they get bounced by Utah. Yeah. Yeah, so if they do get bounced, they will make changes. They can make it because Paul George will get you a lot if you're going to trade Paul George. Paul George is the number one asset that you can trade. You're not going to trade Kawhi Leonard, in my opinion. I think they're going to change it. 
you know, just as how the NBA rolls, because it's probably Kawhi's probably going to be like, hey, you know, look, two straight years of underachieving, what are you going to do? They'll know probably flinch because of it. But I don't know, Bogues. I think they will, but I probably wouldn't. I'd keep those two guys together and just try to fucking roll with it because your team is good. But hey, two straight early bounces is it's hard to come back from. No, I no. say I say they're going to change. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next question. Porzingis is on a new team by trade deadline. I'm going to go fact. I think he's going to pad his way out of there. I think it, um, the writings on the wall started the passive-aggressive comments in the media. I think he wants to go to a team where he is in that New York role of he's the star in lights and he gets a chance to be the man. So I would say fact. I say the only way he's on a new team by trade deadline is if he got bought out or, or stretched out. I, I don't think they, they could find it. I think I do believe they want him out and I do believe that he wants out. But I also know that it's going to be very tough, not impossible, but very tough to move that deal. So I, I, I think that I think it's fake news. He will be on like the only way I think is if they buy him out. And I mean, that will be the largest buyout in NBA history if they're going to stretch him out at 100 million, you know, because the buyout, he'll take very little money off the top you know, of the buyout. So if they if they buy him out to a lower number. So I think he's uh, going to stay unless he's get bought out. Last one, Bogues. CP deserves another max deal. Oh yeah, there's been reports that he's he's seeking out another one. He's old president of the Players Association, so he could use a bit <laughs> of leverage. I wouldn't. I'd say um, I think he's played fantastically. I'll say fake news based on he's 36, man. He's he's 37 next season, and you know his body. I'm not one to judge bodies breaking down because it happened to me, but. He just he's never healthy at the the pointy end. Um, even if even if he wins a championship, I, I don't. I, I think you're you're then risking overpaying for an aging, great superstar player. But you're you're, you're overpaying for a guy that's potentially gonna gonna have a few more injuries popping out um, just based on age being undefeated, bro. Yeah, I agree. He does not deserve another max because of his age and risk factor. That being said, I think the New York Knicks will do everything in their power to sign him. They will have money. I'm not sure how much money they have, but they will do everything in their power to sign him to next year. Let me look real quick with the Knicks. So next year they'll have Derek Rose comes off the books six. Nikita's money comes off. Burks comes off. So right now all they really have on salary is Randall at 19.8, RJ Barrett, 8.7, Obi Toppin, the guy that just signed, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, and Quickly. So they got a lot of money coming off. I, I predict they will give him a max deal. That So does he deserve it? No. So if the wording was different, will he, then I would say yes. Does he deserve it? No, because of the age. Will he get one for three? He's looking for $100 million over three. Will he get one? The New York Knicks... As usual, it's funny, folks, you know, because I want to talk about something else too, but like this one with the Knicks, like everybody's blowing the Knicks all fucking year. It, for, deservedly so. They did a great job compared to the talent that they have. So they do a good job. Everybody's blowing them. And then they fucking, they, they we lose in the first round. And every fucking headline in New York is, oh, same old Knicks, blah, 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 blah. Look, like, they their team is, was terrible on fucking paper. And they fucking, they found a way to be relevant, top four seed in the East, 
not easy to do. And then they just fucking, everybody piles on them because they don't win. A team like that doesn't win in the first round. Instead of saying, hey, great season, Julius Randle, one of the best turnarounds in fucking NBA history, RJ Barrett got better, Derrick Rose was fucking really good, you got a lot of mileage out of some guys, Mitchell Robinson was hurt, no, they just go... They just go shit on him. It's interesting. Yeah, and I think they arguably wouldn't have been there without Thibs. So I think they definitely overachieved. So yeah, I, I would agree with that. Last thing, folks. I know we're, we we weren't going to talk about that. What do you think about Stephen A. Smith saying that Donovan Mitchell is the best player in Utah Jazz history? Oh, he said that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I was going to send it no, before. I man. thought maybe you read no, it. No, no, yeah, no. So I, he, I mean, Stephen exactly. A. I don't. Stephen A. Smith. I mean, to me, you know, he's 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 paid to to. I think Kwame Brown had him yeah. had him spot on pegged, man. He's he's paid he's, he's paid to do some crazy shit and he's a company man. Yeah. Um, he's not his own man. Yeah. He's, he's he's completely bought. But that's just ridiculous. You know, you yeah. disrespect Carl Malone and John and John Stockton. Those two guys yeah. are Utah basketball still to this day. And Donovan Mitchell it's what I mean. Like you're like, okay, so now someone says that are you disrespecting Donovan Mitchell? You know, it's like no. comparing comparing eras and legends, it's just it's just it's idiot yeah. analogies to get idiots rolled up, and I, I, j- I just think it's silly. But yeah, then John Stockton and Carmelo. And, I mean, John Stockton so still so fake news. Yeah, heavy <laughs> fake news. It's like yeah. I think Stephen A. Smith's a walking piece of fake news that shouldn't be taken seriously by any means. You know, yells, screams, everything he goes about is is just something I don't I don't like, and he's got every right to go about it. But I've got every right to say he's he's someone that I don't I don't I don't listen to at all. Yeah, it's bullshit because. Look, that's, you know, he wants to do that. He wants to do that. But now, first guy who says no, like you said, is quote unquote disrespected Donovan Mitchell. There's no disrespect. Donovan Mitchell's going on to have a hell of a career so far. And he probably will have an unbelievable career, knock on wood, if everything's good injury wise and he stays healthy and he keeps up this, you know, what he's doing. It's unbelievable. But to say that two guys who, we're top 50 players of all time, perennial all-stars, and, you know, get to two NBA finals, you know, losing to Jordan both times. And what they did for that organization over a long period of time, not just five years, not just six years, you know, being able to do what they did. You know, Carl Malone, I think at the time when he retired, was he the second or third highest scorer in the NBA history? I, think I second, forgot what yeah. he was. but he was, Second or third, yeah. Yeah, he was high. Yeah, and he was a hell of a player. I mean, John and Stockton, like too, in assists. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Assists. Fucking Steals, just a, a tough Steals defender. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, and this is why I hate fucking lists. I hate rating guys like that because, first of all, everybody has their own opinion. No one's going to ever prove you right or wrong. But to be honest, let's be honest. It, you just can't do it yet. Let's let's talk about that in, in seven or eight years. Let's not talk about that right now. Yeah. it's. Uh, I think if Donovan Mitchell – Plays his career out for the most part in Utah. His his jersey will be hanging up in the rafters. Um, it all it all comes down to whether he's there or he's one of those guys that gets moved on to LA or New York early in his career because he doesn't want to be in a small market. I think that'll hinder it. But if he's there for seven eight plus years, I think his jersey will be hanging up. That's that's not even up for discussion. It's just to compare him to two legends is just silly. But let's get on to Q and A real quick and, and finish this baby off. Hi Bogan and Pro, love the podcast, massive fan. Congratulations on your 
Basketball career, love watching you play. All the best for the future. My question is about player memorabilia. How many players collect their own or others' players' memorabilia, jersey, shoes, game balls, milestone stuff? Did you keep much during your own career? Another thing, you see the players do jersey swaps after games. How much do players want to do it? Is it a publicity stunt, especially when it comes to rookies? After one game, JaVale McGee wanted to do one with Zion. Zion gave me his jersey, but then walked off before McGee could give him his. Also, the Dallas Clippers series after game seven, Paul George took off his jersey and tried to swap with Luca, but Luca waved it off and walked away. I actually saw that and it was hilarious. It's crazy with all the all-star games and celebrities acting like schoolgirls asking to get the player's shoes after the game. Keep up the great work, Ben, in Crambanese. So for me personally, I was not a huge not a huge memorabilia guy. The only thing I ever collected since I was young was every jersey I've worn and played in. So I've got every one of them. I actually have them up in my gym. I'm about 10 years behind getting framed though. I've got a lot of work to do there, but I've got every jersey from when I was 11 years old to I've got them in chronological order through my journey. And the last one will be a Sydney Kings one. So that's the only thing I collect. Um, I think my parents have my trophies up at their house. They're kind of all over the place. As far as the jersey swap goes, I I think you hit on the head. I think it's mainly a publicity stunt because you can do all that shit, but behind close closed doors when i was when i was first in the league my first couple of years there were a lot of players that would ask for jerseys from other players in the locker room so i might have a foundation you might be playing the lakers i might say hey i'll tell the ball boy can you go get ask lebron if he'll sign this for me for my foundation we're gonna auction it off and then they'll run over to their locker room that's usually how it was done behind closed doors so that makes me think the way it's done now is is a, a publicity stunt so some people do it like it some people keep all the jerseys some don't but i think a lot of these guys now it's it's a cool thing to do on instagram pro Yeah, I have my jersey that I played in, but I gave it to the Cowboys because they needed something to cover the field when it rains. (laughs) So, you know, I I didn't have it. But no, I I mean, I'm not a big, I'm not a big memorabilia guy. Like I got, uh, I got like six or seven autographs from MJ because when I worked his camp, they allow all staff and players to get something autographed. I didn't do jerseys or anything. So what they had is like these staff handbooks. They had these unbelievable pictures of MJ, like painted, um, you know, like almost like cartoon, like of, of different shots that he shot in his career. And I would have him sign that every week. So I got those. I don't really have a Jersey. Um, I don't have Jersey signed or anything like that. Uh, the only time I ever did that, even like, I, I never liked doing it. I never liked asking players for stuff like that. I think I asked uh, Dirk to sign something for uh, one of my girl uh, girls that, that works for my wife wanted something, but I never, I, I hate autographs. I hate asking for it. Um, I don't like the, the, I don't like the, that's just me. You know, I don't like the Jersey swap. I think it's, you know, you know, that, like you said, you could do that, that you could do that shit after a game. You could do that, you know, but I think it's a big publicity thing, you know, and uh, I'm not a big fan of it, but Hey, look, everybody does their own thing, but you do set yourself up for, if, you know, if the player you're trying to ask for doesn't want your shit, just, you know, it's just, you know, it is fucking comedy when that happens. So <laughs> yeah, Luca did it to Paul like George that. and that shit was, that shit was trending Duh. all over the, all over social media. It was great. That Aussie, that Aussie guy that does those fucking YouTube videos needs to do a video on, on fucking Jersey swapping. You know, you know the guy I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Yeah, his name. that fucking guy, first of all, I listen to that guy four hours a week minimum on just fucking going on rabbit hole after rabbit hole. He needs to do a video on fucking on on um Jersey swap gone bad. Yeah, he's good. He's solid. All right, next one. Hi, Bogues and Pro. Love your podcast. Listen to every single week. Keep up the good work and brutal honesty. My question is, I, I was always led to believe and still believe that no player is bigger than an organization. 
what is it about NBA players that lead them to think that the team is their team, e.g. where they have an influence on who gets traded, what position they should play? It seems that players have more influence than the coach does. In my opinion, a lot of players should be thankful to even be in the NBA, let alone have the decision whether or not they run the way the team functions. What are your thoughts? It's Chris Charlton from Adelaide. What are your thoughts on that one, Pro? Bogues, look, everything in life is about leverage. Everything in life is about leverage. When you're in high school, like you play your coach or you're you're playing like cadet or whatever you call it internationally, your coach is going to have a lot of say in what goes on. He's the the person or she's the person who's going to be totally in charge. College in the States, most likely the coach will have the control. There aren't many recruits that's going to get a coach fired. It just doesn't happen. The coach is bigger than the player. When you get to the NBA, in most cases, the players, because of how much money they have, the fact that they have a lot of control after their rookie contract, after the second contract signed, they can go where they want, when they want, for the most part, you know, especially if you have the right agent. So that's, that's in, and, and that's into the situation. I, th- you know, and I think they have total control, especially players in the top hundred have total control of that league. And, most coaches can't survive it. If the players want him out, then he's going to go out. Like me, there aren't many owners that are, or general managers that are going to stand by their coach if they're they're not going to pull a Pat Riley when those three guys wanted Spolster getting fired in Miami when when things started going bad the first year early in the year. You don't have a lot of stand up people that are going to say you're going to do your job. We're not going to submit to what you want, but the players run the league. Look, they've got the leverage and nobody stands up to them. And what are you going to do? It's just like, I live in reality. I know in a perfect world, we want the world or or, or the world of sports, especially to run a certain way. That shit ain't going to be like that. If If a top player, everyone asks me if somebody should get fired as a coach. The first question I always ask is not how far they went in the playoffs, not what they were seated, not anything else like that. Does the best player in the, in the team like him? Because if the best player on any team wants to coach out, then he's out. You know, especially if that player is an all-star and an MVP candidate. There's nothing that that coach is going to do. If they say, I will not play for that coach, maybe the owner might trade the player. I'd say it's a, a 0.2% chance of that happening. If your best player does not like you for one reason or another, your fault or not, you are fucking gone. And there's nothing you can do about it. What do you think? Yeah, it just comes with the MO of being, if you're the star player in your team, other star players are doing it. You want to do the same thing. You want to dictate with with who's coming, who's going. Sometimes teams will actually go to players and ask them, you know, like, like for instance, uh, the Mavs, I guarantee, would be asking Luca what he wants, what does he need, because there's a bit of uh, – frighten them that he might leave so they're trying to actually engage him that way so he has some skin in the game so there's an argument to both sides i think that it it is overblown towards the player's favor i think there are some players that try to dictate what teams are doing and who they trade and who they bring in mainly when it comes to coaching really um they're the ones that are greatly affected but that's why if you have a strong gm a la pat riley in miami they have their system their way of doing things strategically and, and they don't care about all other bs and that's the main reason why we saw that big three broken up because it got to a point where guys were just like you know we're not gonna we're not lebron we're not listening to you bro like we we respect you you're a great player uh, we thank you for coming here but we're doing things our way and, and that's a rumor as to why he left that's been spoken about by many people was pat riley just wouldn't wouldn't bow about all that kind of stuff so you either have a strong gm you have your principles or you don't and 
Um, if you have one of those teams that lets a player dictate everything you're going to do, and then all of a sudden that player gets up and leaves, you're stuck in a pretty bad position for three or four years. And, and we've seen that with you know the Cavs and a lot of teams that LeBron was on. So there is a, there is a happy medium there, and you, you need to have a balance. But I wouldn't say one way is wrong, one way is right, because any any anyone in the world would want LeBron James on their team, no matter what cost. Um, so it can't be a hypocrite and say, oh, we wouldn't want LeBron because he's going to dictate what we do. No, you'll you'll take LeBron and then try to come to an agreement about what you're doing with your roster. Um, but then sometimes, like I said, he leaves and then you're stuck with a bunch of LeBron role players without a LeBron and you've got bad contracts that you can't move. That's just the reality of, of pro sports. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Last one. Now that you're part owner of the Kings, what's your role with the organization? Will you be having a say in terms of what coaches, players get hired, et cetera, et cetera? That's from Jacob. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to be actively involved moving forward. We're, we're, we're in the midst of a, a coaching hunt right now. Obviously, we don't have a head coach. So I've been on a few calls with some potential candidates, which hopefully will have a, a result in the next couple of weeks. So that's exciting. And then... Um, you know, the day-to-day roster stuff is handled by a GM, Chris Pongrass. Um, obviously, as owners, uh, myself and Paul Smith have to kind of have a say when it gets closer towards contract signing time because we um, we pay the salary. So, you know, we don't want our GM to commit to a, a deal that's going to blow our budget. So, we, we definitely have to be kept in the loop as far as finances go. So, I'm in the loop as far as all that. Uh, the day-to-day is handled by our GM and then the coaching search right now is, is the biggest priority. Um, I guess for you, probably this, this question would be, how are you as the owner of Hoop Consultants? How's, how's your daily venture going? It's going good. It's going good. I got, um, I'm doing this college, uh, college consulting where I'm trying to get division one schools to sign on to have me come in for a few days, evaluate, evaluate their player development um, and sort of talk to them about things that I would add, things I would subtract, evaluate what they're doing, and then consult them throughout the year. So trying to do that more, I'm actually going to start reaching out to international players like Americans or international players that are close to being NBA prospects, even for veterans that are like, you know, like they need to sort of need a little guidance as far as what to really work on, the mentality they should have the player they should emulate to try to get into the NBA as a role player. So I'm trying to reach out, trying to do some different things, but it's a, it's a challenge, you know, trying to do new things and, you know, I haven't been in the NBA for a couple of years. So, you know, trying to get my name back out there. So it's cool. I, I like talking to a bunch of players and talking to a bunch of different things and well, we'll see. We'll see. And for the record, I've asked Bogues for jobs on numerous occasions. So he, he, he pulled his veto card out, his ownership veto card and said, I'd hire 73 people, but not 74. So you're fucking out. <laughs> so I will not be joining the Sydney Kings. Not yet. Anyway, you never know. We might need a no, you never know. taste tester one day. Yeah. Once we have a budget to have a chef, but um, <laughs> let's finish off real quick. I just want to talk about some of the funniest shit you've heard coaches say, uh, assistant coaches, head coaches, whatever it may be. You know, sometimes there's that assistant that's always the jovial, joking one. You know, sometimes a coach says something that's meant to come out serious that isn't. So I've got a few I'll start. One was when I first got drafted by the Bucks, there was a running joke in the locker room about Planet uh, Mork and Mindy. Now, apparently, this is a TV show from the 80s called Mork and Mindy. Planet was Orc. Uh, why is this important? Because I kept hearing this in the locker room. I'm like, what the hell is this Mork and Mindy? And they said, oh, we had Terry Porter as head coach last season, and he thought he thought the planet Orc from the TV show was a, was a real planet. 
<laughs> so, so apparently he was like in meetings, like you know, some of you MFers were on Planet Orc, or on Planet Orc. Where the hell are you? And everyone was just like, what, "What the hell are you talking about?" So shit like that is just funny when coaches just say some random shit that doesn't make sense. That was one. The the, the funniest one, or not the funniest one, the harshest one was um, I get to Utah. Uh, for college and Rick Majerus was huge on getting low getting in a stance getting low everything was predicated on that so if you turned it over if you didn't get a rebound if something happened he would correlate that to you weren't low enough you weren't in a stance you weren't ready to play basketball so basketball coaches out there usually old school ones at least if your knees aren't bent you don't look like you're ready to go they're saying you're not giving effort you're not ready to play so during practices he was he was he was a Nazi with his shit like if he stopped if you were in the middle of like a five on oh, he blew the whistle. You had to stay in your stance the whole time he was talking and teaching. So you couldn't come out of that stance. So he was on me. I saw him on other guys. He was on me. He was on everyone my freshman year, my first couple of weeks there. And one session, he blows the whistle. I get, I'm, I'm low, really low. And he stops, calls me out and says, you know, look, look at Bogut. He's so low. It looks like he's having prison sex in front of the whole squad. So I'm like this dude from Australia, like, you know, much shyer than I am now, like trying to fit in and just get just get told it looks like I'm having prison sex. So just some funny, funny stories that I had along the way, nothing too controversial. But um, I always love hearing these kind of things because then as players, you go to, you go to a, a, a player dinner or you hang out and then you would just rehash these stories over and over again. And Rima Jarris is one of those guys that whenever I catch up with anyone that played on that team with me, it always almost always steers towards 30 40 an hour of just rick majera stories about the funny shit he used to do but um <laughs> i'm sure you'd have you'd have some great ones too bro yeah i'll go with one um i had a young player that i like to fuck around with and bust his balls when i was at the mavericks and like this this guy had no fucking chance of playing none zero fucking zilch and um he wasn't there for long. And he goes, pro, any chance of me getting in a game tonight? So, of course, it was like the uh, the D Brown thing about yeah. the offense and defense part. Lay up for you. So, I was like, yeah, I think you have a fucking great chance for playing tonight. He goes, yeah? I said, yeah, if we got 17 guys who get fucking gonorrhea by 730, you'll be in the lineup. And this fucking guy's face went from 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock. It just – all of his fucking – all of his mojo just went out of his fucking toes – it's just like, he just deflated the poor bastard. But again, can't bring me around polite company. And there might be a reason why I'm not with a team right now. <laughs> that, that's just, that's just play development from pro. <laughs> yeah. 17 guys get gonorrhea tonight. You'll definitely be in the lineup. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. All right. That wraps up episode 24 of the basketball series. Thanks, pro. We'll watch this week. Hopefully have some series wrapped up by the podcast next week. But thanks everyone for listening. By the way, we hit two hundred and fifty thousand listen listens last week, pro. So a pretty pretty good milestone for us. Surging towards half Sweet. a million and then a million, hopefully by the end of the year, and continue to grow the podcast. So tell everyone you know about our podcast, and we will see you next week. Thanks. Have fun tomorrow's um, tomorrow's taco day. So get after it. <laughs> All right, see ya. <laughs>